This week on Geek Explained, it's the finale of X-May 2023. We're ending this year's festivities with a bang as I'm joined by Justin and Alicia of the X-Wife podcast to decide once and for all which comic book of the Krakoan age truly is the best of X. Welcome back to Geek Explained. I'm your host, Eric Azana, and today's episode is the finale of X-May 2023. I feel like the month of May just blew by, and now here we are on the cusp of June. I want to say a huge thank you to everybody who has been listening. X-May is always a really fun time, has been for the last three years, and you all really do make this possibly the most wonderful time of the year. But this week is our finale. This is it. We are shutting the doors. We are closing the drapes, at least until next year's festivities. And we are going to ring in the end of X-May 2023 by deciding which comic of the Krakoan Age is the best of X. It's a single elimination tournament with 30 bucks to check out, to discuss, and to compare. And to do all of this, I am joined by Justin and Alicia of the X-Wife podcast, one of the best X-Men podcasts to listen to, if you are not already aware. The three of us sat down and went through this single elimination style tournament bracket, which, if you are following us on Instagram and Twitter, at GeeksplainedPod, it's at GeeksplainedPod, we have released the official bracket for you to fill out and do your own uh, eliminations and full-on uh, March Madness style uh, deciding on which book beats the other book. But we are going to be getting down into the nitty-gritty for the three of us. It's a roundtable discussion. We take each matchup in stride discussing each book, and it's just a really, really fun time. And I think a worthy finale for this era. I'm really excited to share the conversation we had. It was amazing. It was really fun. It was daunting because we went through a lot of matchups and a lot of books, some of which broke our hearts when they were matched up with each other. So definitely stay tuned for that. We also have the final weekly review for the end of The Flash. Flash Season 9, A New World Part 4. I'm going to be discussing the entire series as a whole, uh, ranking every season, as well as discussing my thoughts on the finale and where this story ends. And... You know we also have this week's Comics Countdown, where I'll chat you up about all the comics you should be picking up this week, so make sure you stay tuned for that after the jump. This past week has been uh, pretty fun. I've been just going through everything that I can consume when it comes to uh, Jedi Survivor. I finally beat Jedi Survivor, um, getting myself prepped and ready for 
whatever is coming at June, which I will be discussing at the end of this episode. So make sure you stay tuned for that. But I also got to be part of this amazing, amazing little project to benefit the Alzheimer's Association for the um, Fallout for Hope charity. I was part of this incredible radio play with over a dozen other Fallout actors, both large and small. Um, it's just an amazing experience that I got to be part of this, uh, being in the same room, virtually, of course, as actors who inspired me and helped me to fall in love with the franchise was absolutely amazing. I'll link in the show notes where you can find it. It did drop this past Saturday as of release of this episode. Um, so I'll drop the link. You can go check out the recording. It's just, it's incredible. And I feel just it's beyond words uh how honored i feel to be part of something like this especially because it's benefiting such a wonderful cause and on top of all that this friday we've got across the spider-verse baby i'm very 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 excited to see the film i have been waiting with bated breath we got the uh possible hints that our girl jess Jess Ultimate Jess might be involved in the film, which is the only thing that I've been waiting for. You know how much we absolutely love Jess from the Ultimate Comics. Uh, if you listen to any part of our book club from last year, um, we love, love, love seeing Ultimate Jess. And if she does pop up in this movie, I don't know what I'm going to do. Maybe I'm going to cry. We'll see. But I'm very excited to see the film and I can't wait to get into the theater to watch this but that's enough about me that's enough about my week let's roll right on into the main event the main course the Andre if you will which is our X-May 2023 finale as I'm joined by Justin and Alicia of the X-Wife podcast to decide which comic is the best of X <laughs> Fall of X almost upon us, it's time to look back at the Krakoan age and decide what truly is the best of X. We are knee-deep in X-May at this point, and I would say it's time to really take an in-depth look at the comics that have brought a lot of people to the dance. The Krakoan era has been this I would like to think, huge success for not just Marvel, but for the entire X-Office and the X-Men brand. And now that we're staring down the barrel of possibly the end of the Krakoan era, we are taking a full retrospective look at every book that's come out, some exclusions that we'll discuss in a second, <laughs> and deciding which book stands alone as the best of x this is going to be a single elimination tournament we have the bracket set up if you follow us on on twitter at geek explained pod it's at geek explained pod you will have seen the bracket in its glory released and i am 
extremely excited to be joined in the best of X by Justin and Alicia from the X-Wife podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. We're so excited to do this and also a little scared. (laughs) No, it's exciting. It's a good thing. It's, it's, It's scared excitement, which is maybe the best kind of excitement. Yeah, there absolutely. is a lot of comics to talk about. We have 30 books that we are going to be talking about in the single elimination style. Uh, real quick, some ground rules here. There are two very notable exceptions that are not in this tournament. That is Hoxpox and that is uh, X or Ten of Swords. X or Ten of Swords, I think, is the easiest one to eliminate just because it was 27 parts stretched across a lot of different books. Yeah. And Hoxpox, I kind of like to put it on its own pedestal just because it started the whole thing. I think everyone agrees that it's kind of the best starting yeah. point for this era and kind of stands on its own. Yeah, I don't know that there would really be much debate if Hawks Fox wouldn't win <laughs> yeah. in, in this conversation. I, I just, as Alicia's making a face, I don't know, maybe maybe there would be some, <laughs> some debate around it. You know I love a good debate. Well, we're going to be doing plenty of that today. Um, but that does mean that two books make their way out of the first round, get a first round buy-in straight into the quarterfinals. And that is two flagship books from, I would say, the Hickman era of the Krakoan Age and the post-Hickman era of the Krakoan Age. X-Men by Jonathan Hickman is kind of the book that, for me, was like the flagship of like Dawn of X and early, you know, pre-Inferno. And Immortal X-Men... Uh, by Kieran Gillen is the book that I feel like is kind of pushing the narrative forward for everything post Inferno. So those two books get to uh, make their way out of the first round and immediately are going to be matched up with whatever gets matched up with it. (laughs) But as we go through this, we're going to be talking about each book going to be giving points on why it should win or why the other book should lose. And hopefully we'll come to a consensus so that one book will move to the next round. Yeah, no, now, no, no arguments, no, no battles. Fighting's okay. But as long as we, as long as we don't mess with everyone's pretty face, it's where yeah, we make yeah. our money. Uh, I am known for having a face made for radio. So just don't, just don't hit me. Don't hit me anywhere above the jaw. I would appreciate that. You might just get some some shots at you for that Cyclops T-shirt from Alicia. So you know, <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> oh no, I forgot. <laughs> so before we get into the festivities here, I want to ask because I make sure to ask this anytime someone is coming on to X May for the first time. How were e- I? Kind of know the answer, but how <laughs> were each of you introduced to the X Men? Alicia, do you want to? Yeah, I mean, I was introduced to the X Men through the movies. Nice. Um, before Justin and I were really a thing, um, I saw the movies because they were like action movies in a sense. And my dad always wanted to see action movies. I didn't have a lot of like nerd connections outside of like Jurassic Park and Harry Potter. Um, <laughs> When I was growing up, there was no nerd in my family. 
So I'm the only one. Um, <laughs> and then I was introduced through to X-Men comics by Justin. Uh, and that's how our podcast began. So I really wasn't interested in reading comics at all. Yeah. Um, if you listen to those early episodes, she has no interest <laughs> in reading a comic. I was like, it's never going to happen. Good luck trying. And, and then we finished Hawksbox and I was like, give it to me. I need to read everything. I want to know all of it. Right. <laughs> I mean, th this whole podcast concept started from, it, it was just a COVID project that we were like, yeah, all right, this sounds fun. And I always wanted someone to be able to talk to about the books yeah. because, you know, occasionally some folks are at the shop that I know are up on the books, but most often, most of my in real life friends are nowhere near as caught up as I am on anything. So I just gradually turned Alicia into... <laughs> the most knowledgeable person that I could have conversation with. Yeah. I went in hard and fast yeah. to the comics. <laughs> and then for me, introduction to the X-Men had been the animated series primarily. That was a, a big cornerstone in my childhood and just waking up early on Saturdays, checking that out. And then just like morph dying still resonates oh. in my heart. It breaks my heart. Oh, but but also my godfather, my uncle, was a huge comics nerd, uh, has long boxes full of comics, even in his adult, more adult age, I guess I could say. Uh, he has one of those tragic stories where his mom, my grandmother, threw out a bunch of his old comic oh. books. Did. Yeah. Um, but he did, he did save some. <laughs> he did recover some. And he has since bought some new ones. When I was a kid. I would go over their house and he would just pull out boxes and, and single issues and we'd just look through them That's and then awesome. he'd give me a couple and then I'd go home with them. I'm like, yeah, this is awesome. I don't know what it is. Um, the, the first X-Men comic is X-Men 25. That's the one that specifically sticks out of my mind. It's when Magneto rips the adamantium yes. from Wolverine's body and you can see it like that image is forever burned into my memory. Yeah. It, was like, it was a little seven-year-old Justin just came online when I was like, wait, whoa, this Horrified. is insane. Yeah. yeah, but in the coolest way possible. Of course, of course. Some of those, it's funny because I I got introduced to those to X-Men comics through, you know, that era. Hmm. And I remember my first X-Men comic was Age of Apocalypse. And so oh, I went from the animated series as a kid and being like, okay, I feel like I've got a handle on these <laughs> X-Men. All right, let's read these comics my dad was collecting at the time. And I'm like, what is going on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and then he doesn't even know. He's like, I don't know. They just, they just took away all our books. He's like, I don't know. I don't know what's don't going know. on. <laughs> I don't know about Legion. Yeah. Oh, my God. Legion Quest and everything that yeah. happened because of that. Yeah. The, the 90s era of comics is fascinating because it's both the most accessible and the least accessible when right. it comes to literally almost anybody. What you name a character, they had some weird thing happen to them <laughs> in that decade. Clones, sorry, Spider-Man. Clones of plenty, yeah, and and a lot of uh, robot suits, a lot of yeah. robot armor. I was just talking to somebody before about the weird Captain America era where they had drained him of all of his super soldier serum, and he was just running around in a little armor suit. Mm. It was a strange time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> interesting uh but yeah we are now that you know their acumen now that you know that we are 
studied up, I would say, (laughs) on the Krakoa era. Uh, Let's dig into this, because this first round, I think, has some really exciting matchups and some really, uh, in a couple places, some really overpowered matchups. There are some very lopsided uh, (laughs) matches here, but... Once again, if you want to check out the bracket and follow along with us, print it out yourself, post it on your wall, build a whole fantasy league around it, feel free to do so, and we will uh, get this rolling. So, first matchup in the first round, we have Sabretooth and the Exiles versus X-Core. Yeah. Now, Saber- yeah. Sabretooth and the Exiles uh, is the sequel to the Sabretooth book and features Sabretooth getting out of the his exile with his fellow uh, prisoners of the no place and the no zone for Krakoa and immediately getting swept up in all the Orcus things. Yeah. So it's fr- out of the frying pan into the fire, where he's X-Core focuses on Monet and Warren Worthington III and is, wh- well, from what I remember when it was first being, you know, posited and everything, the uh, one of the guys at the comic book shop that I go to, he was like, hey, this has the potential to be succession with X-Men. And I'm like, that <laughs> really? sounds really cool. Yeah then and then it it wasn't (laughs) (laughs) and then now it's like hey this has the potential to be a monday morning meeting but with (laughs) that should have been an email well it should have been an email (laughs) so i feel like we might all three be in an agreement on this i'm gonna hope that we are i think this is probably (laughs) one of the easiest decisions i will make this evening in deciding who i mean i wanted to like x corp i like the characters in x corp and and even sabertooth and the exiles ended kind of strange for and sure yeah. added a whole lot of multiversal interesting speaking of multiverse right 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 yeah uh, multiverse is cool but and, even and, that ending is better than sitting through board meetings in a <laughs> <laughs> We, we gotta we, figure out we... how to monetize these X drugs and exactly right. what the going care. rate is. Why are we employing the Fenris twins? Like, what, <laughs> that might be the biggest crime of that book yeah. is employing the Fenris twins. Even Mastermind had some good spots too. I, I'm as someone that has cosplayed Mastermind before, <laughs> one of the very few oh. people who cosplayed Mastermind. Uh, All I, the it was good to in the see. world. Right, it was good to see some use and representation for Jason Wingard. <laughs> However, I do think that we're all in agreement. It's got to be Sabretooth and the Exiles, yeah, right? Yeah, hundred million percent. <laughs> so that makes that first that first matchup pretty easy. However, Sabretooth and the Exiles is going to have a much tougher time in the second round. We'll get yeah. to that in a bit. So our next first round matchup is a. Jerry Duggan two for one, where we're pitting his X-Men run up against his Marauders run. This one is tough. This one is very tough. Um, I want to also make it very clear to our listeners. These matchups were not specifically ordered by any of us. I put this through a randomizer. This is what it spit out. And, um, Apparently, the randomizer wanted us to go through some pain in the process of this. But the X-Men run uh, by Jerry Duggan and a cavalcade of 
incredible artists mm-hmm. um came out of inferno came out of the well no it came before inferno but it came out of the ending of hickman's run on the x-men and introduced us to the new hellfire gala approved x-men yeah. team it has now gone through two different iterations team wise two separate teams and we are gearing up for the third x-men vote which i feel like i'm i get really excited about every year but every yeah. year i feel like by the time the gala comes up i'm less excited about it yeah <laughs> it's that six month lead up it's yeah like, how can I, too far how can i be excited it's the same way when when there's actual elections it's yes. like two years out i don't what are you talking about i mean like in a sense you understand they need to know who people vote for because they have to write the comics and draw the books whatever yeah. I just don't want to wait that long. And then I kind of don't care anymore. (laughs) Yeah, it's tough. And I think that that first, uh, those first 12 issues kind of felt like they had prepared a lot of stuff and Polaris was kind of just dropped into those situations where he's the second one definitely feels like it incorporates the newer members more. Yeah. But it definitely like, I wish we'd gotten more Polaris time, especially like post X Factor. Yeah. Yes. I I just feel like you could sum up her involvement in this run in those first 12 issues as coffee and PhD. And those are her her clear defined character traits that we have taken. And like that one time her and Jean like worked together to do something to a dead guy. Yeah. The MRI of a dead person. That was, that was really cool. That, the, that's the run. <laughs> that's it did. for Polaris. It's it's no arcs, just vibes is what yeah, Polaris' yeah, yeah. time yeah. was. But conversely, Duggan's Marauders run is all arcs plus vibes. Um, yeah. Bringing in Kate Pride, captaining the Marauder as the new Red Queen of the Hellfire Trading Company, matching her and Emma up against Sebastian Shaw. As well as bringing in all these characters that I love. This is, I remember reading this book vividly in the, in the opening, you know, act, I guess, of the Dawn of X and going like, oh man, I love Pyro again. This is great. Right. Yeah. There there was so much energy around this one. There was. This book is is the key to my X-Men fandom. Yeah. Kate and Emma are they like they're my gateway drugs i don't know how else to like explain it i just and i will always hold them in my heart as like the reason i wanted to be an x fan and that's largely the adaptable scheme that is our tagline one man's elaborate scheme to get his wife into comics it has followed those cues <laughs> Which is like, oh, I'm really liking Kate. I'm really liking Emma. Well, like, well, what would you say if we got to interview Matteo Lolly? Yeah, that was so. (laughs) And then, and then Justin got me the page for Christmas, and I cried like a little baby. Oh man, (laughs) yeah. And that, like you said, like, and I think I, I think it's cool how both of their stock has only kind of risen since Mm -hmm. the Cohen age. Obviously, they were both super high already with Emma being. Emma Frost and Kate being kind of the gateway and POV to a lot of people getting into comics, you know, through the X-Men, but the Krakoan age really gave them a fresh coat of paint, Kate, especially. Yeah. And she's still like, this is where we kind of got the beginning of this idea that she can't go through the gates and we still don't know the answer to that. Like that, 
thread is still hanging on, waiting for someone, Jerry, <clears throat> to do something with. <laughs> um, and, so, and yeah. Of- and a lot of big additions too. So I recently had reread Marauders just on a whim. I was in a conversation <laughs> on Instagram yes. and it was like, they were saying about how it didn't really add much. And I thought that that was odd. And then I reread the first couple of issues and like they establish Legacy House. They establish the X office, mm-hmm. like the, the CIA mm-hmm. X office. Dolores appears in Marauders first. Yeah. Um, and, and so many concepts surrounding the the drug trade the krakoan medicine trade and just what that means as but, an export but not in a not in an x-core boardroom kind of way right. no no in just like way. in a pirate's way in, in a in way like, cool pirate's way yeah right right black right. markets and and swashbuckling okay cool lighting things on fire yes bringing the reavers back like yeah, yeah. defending um madripoor like that book did so much for not just those characters, but pushing a lot of the stuff that we all love about the Krakoan mm-hmm. age forward. Yeah. And it's difficult when you kind of match that up and it being the same writer against what's supposed to be like the flagship and the X-Men. This was them like becoming superheroes again because the Krakoan right. age started. There were no X-Men. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. That's a, a quote from Hickman about how, as he was ending the run, and he was like, I can't believe I made it through this many issues without actually having an X-Men team yeah. and seeing that as a success, a little quiet nod to himself. Which I think in in itself, with the book being called X-Men, but really being just Summer's Family Adventures, yeah. I I thought was <laughs> really fun. Right. But then no, I love that. there is kind of that switchover, not unlike, you know, the switchover from uh, new X-Men into Astonishing when they're like, we're going to be heroes again. We're going to be mm-hmm. colorful. We're going to be superheroes. We're going to have our tree house in New York, which I still love as a home base. Yeah. yeah I love I love the cross-section page from Pepe Larraz yes. and Marte Garcia in the first issue. Love a good map. And just that, I mean, just Pepe Larraz's art, just in general. Oh, yeah. Like, absolutely crushing it and i love i do really love the the teams that they do build for both the first and second arcs i was a i was a big proponent of having sync on that first x-men team and when it did happen i was like yes yeah yeah i think i i've enjoyed the second arc more so than the first i agree and i think that it really has to do with the point that you made about the the dynamics of the team and everybody kind of have, you know, except for Havoc, who I often forgot was on the team. <laughs> You're not the only one. Until <laughs> um, he was like, I'm out. Um, Good. But like the, just the, di- the team dynamics I really enjoyed in this second arc. And I like that we are getting more resolutions to the, the breadcrumbs that were dropped in the first arc. So yeah, it's like, you kind of need one to have the other, but I think if I if if those two were in a bracket against each other first year or one, second year arc, two. Yeah. I would choose because year I, two for sure. I also feel like there was an evolution in the storytelling that year one was one and done. It was yes, hey, you're the bad them. guy, and we're gonna beat him. And year mm-hmm. two has been two to three issue arcs yeah. based on whatever thing that they're and to just dive in to have some side stories to have some just more fodder to play with has made it that much more mm-hmm. exciting and engaging. 
Absolutely. And I think the I think the main kind of uh, narrative across both has been all the Dr. Stasis stuff. Yep. And yes. I, I, for one, love the Captain Krakoa stuff. I will yeah. I will go down and take as many stones as people will throw at me for loving <laughs> this, the whole Captain Krakoa thing. Um, oh, I loved it. I, I loved it as a, as a commentary on resurrection. And yes. just what do we do when someone publicly dies? How do we adapt to that? And I feel like that's part of the Krakoan era's exciting nature is that there are new things that we have to question and deal with because of the way we've set mutants up. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that's something that I do kind of miss. You know, it's cool that it's like now we have to deal with, oh, what does it mean when everyone knows that they can just be brought back? Yeah. But I do kind of miss the sec- the secrecy. I'm a sucker for any Ben Urich involvement. So yeah, I love that, was that. Yeah. Those pages were my favorite pages of the whole first year. Every yeah. time I was like, give me that story, Ben. <laughs> yeah. John, You're a reporter. <laughs> it's difficult for me that you had to bring up Dr. Stasis in this argument because that was literally the most rewarding she moment it. of my comics journey. Yeah. Like one day we were just like, you know, theorizing and I was like, wouldn't it be crazy if Stasis was sinister? And then when I got <laughs> to that page... I literally like lost my mind. Yeah. Like I was like, Oh my God, I understand comics. I did it. I, I'm here. And so now that's like, no, that one moment can't outweigh all of Marauders for me. It can't, but it sounds like you're clear on your vote. Yeah. I, you I sound pretty clear. Before, yeah. 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 Before we even started this conversation, I was like, this is a fun conversation to have, but it means nothing. <laughs> well, uh, I'm I'm going to assume that's one vote for Marauders then. Indeed it is, yes. Okay. Justin, how are you feeling? Uh, as, as much as I really like where things have been going in the second year, and even in the first year, I think it's Marauders for me as well, just because of the solid foundation of that team, just the, the pirate energy, the fun. It yeah. just had so much working for it and tied into the greater tapestry of everything. I, I have to agree. It's interesting. I love the X-Men run. I love them being heroes. Like I said, I love their codename Kids Next Door Treehouse in the middle of mm-hmm. New York. But no one on that X-Men team got Kill Shaw tattooed onto their knuckles. So that <laughs> right. is a point that's knocked off. Yeah. Oh, can I tell you a fun little story about Kill Shaw? Oh, please. So... Uh, we went to New York Comic Con, and I did my Kate cosplay, yes. and I tattooed with like little temporary tattoos, Kill Shaw on my hand. Mm-hmm. And then we left New York Comic Con, and regular clothes, regular clothes, go driving home, still tatted totally up. <laughs> just didn't think I still have Kill Shaw on my knuckles. So we stop at a dry um, a rest stop, and I stop to get food, and I'm like paying for my food, and the person who is helping me is like. Super uncomfortable. Super uncomfortable. Oh, no. Like, like okay, like taking my my card and like going over and like whispering something to their friend that they're working with, and then all of a sudden I realize that my hands say "kill oh, shot." No. Like slid my hands into my sleeves, and I was like. <laughs> Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. She's also like the sweetest person in the world. And <laughs> right. the, the discomfort that she felt for being oh. seen or thought of as this person that has a vendetta against <laughs> an evil man. Against someone named Shaw. Yeah. Someone named Shaw. 
It was hysterical. People at that rest stop are like, we don't know who this shop person is, but they're having a really bad time. We can Something's really not going to be good for them. This is a bloodthirsty <laughs> killer just getting some snacks from us right now. <laughs> That's oh, amazing. Um, so I think we, we are all in agreement here. We are going to move Duggan's Marauders into round two. Uh, it it does hurt me a little bit because i do love that x-men run but yeah yeah, it's that's a tough matchup for sure i feel like we all need to mentally prepare ourselves because there's going to be comics that are going to get left in the dust that we love yes yes doesn't mean we don't love them anymore absolutely except maybe x-core but (laughs) with the exception of that most of these comics we're not you know judging them on whether they're good or bad it's just right. what we love more, I guess. Exactly. And speaking of which, that brings us to our next matchup, which is X-Factor versus Hickman's New Mutants. This was, I believe, Hickman and Brisson uh, yep. writing this initial New Mutants run. X-Factor was Leah Williams just telling noir mystery detective stories with X-People and New Mutants sounds pretty much exactly what it is. It's bringing together all of the really fun younger generation, even some that were suppo- are technically supposed to be adults now, but maybe <laughs> don't get characterization like adults anymore, uh, getting together and trying to build up the next generation of Krakoan protectors. I want to just preface this. I love X-Factor. I love that book so much. Yeah. Um, so I am coming into this with a steep bias. But <laughs> I want to know what the two of you feel about these these books. So I, I think that we both also love X Factor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> good company on this one, yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. For but sure. I, I really enjoyed, especially that first arc with the OG New Mutants yeah. going into space, trying to reunite the team how that then built up the story with the brood and the king egg and all of that coming in. Even the ambitiousness of Brisson's attempt to tell multiple stories, like broadening what it meant to be a new mutant right. for all of these junior teams. I had read in an interview with Hickman that initially he wanted separate books for each of the legacy teams. He wanted oh, that's interesting. New Mutants to have its own book. He wanted Academy X to have their own book. And then that would be it. But then this kind of formed out of those conversations. How do we take all those, I don't want to say sub teams, but that's really what they are, kind of the the younger up and coming generations that have happened throughout the last 50 or 40 years and group them in some logical way. And I think that they did a really good job with that. I just, X Factor was really great and really interesting. (laughs) And I had a lot of really wild characters too. Yeah, I mean... At its heart, New Mutants was was good and enjoyable, and I appreciate seeing the different perspectives of the characters and the different storylines that were happening. Right. But sometimes it just felt like really disjointed, and that like I would come back to the book and I would be like, "Wait, what book am I reading? What's happening right now?" Mm. And that was also at the beginning for me, mm. so it doesn't it didn't like resonate <laughs> with me as much. And it was way before I like liked Berto. Yes. Roberto was yes. Like, I really like him annoying. now. <laughs> but at that point, I was like, you're the worst. I hate you. I don't want to read anything that you're in because you 
make me want to punch him in the face. Like he just like he really ruined it for me. I think um, in his arrogance. <laughs> it might um, have to save the day. But I, <laughs> yeah, I so there's that to say for New Mutants. But X Factor like had so much great character development and like learning about characters I didn't really know a yeah. lot about and all the. Of, I yeah, iBoy. Like iBoy is a standout for me. Polaris is a standout for me. Like Rachel. Yeah, yes. Rachel. Like, Rachel. Chronos giving. Like, let's go. I don't mm. know. It just and the whole. I mean, Aurora and Dokken. Yeah. Stuff, yeah. Like, it's it's just I, a great book. I also am a sucker for like a murder mystery. Yes! So like, I really wanted more and more and more of that forever. I was like really appreciating that some of these titles really give you like X-Men stories through multiple genres, right. you know, like you're getting a pirate story, you're getting a murder mystery story. You're, you know, then you're Dungeons getting your and action yeah. adventure, you're getting Dungeons and Dragons. Like I appreciated that. And so the books that were telling the stories of the mutants, but through a different lens all the time, like those are the books I was more drawn to because I felt the variety within the universe. Yeah. So that's, I, I mean, X-Factor yeah. was... It's great. And it's interesting because both of these essentially got cut short. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. X Factor was very truncated. It, its last issue was also tying into the Hellfire Gala. Yeah. And it was a surprise to the writer that they were then going to take the idea for the next arc, which was Trump. then to become the yeah. Trial of Magneto, make it its own thing, to put X Men in front and elevate it to this higher eventized, uh, which I think kind of shot some other plot threads in the foot and did what it did. But it's just interesting that that also seemingly happened with Brisson's run. Yeah. Came more to a natural end, but uh, it's, it's X factor for me. Sorry. No, no, I totally get it. And I, and I feel like you made an excellent point that what was magical about a lot of that early, like Dawn of X stuff was these were books that were almost tailor-made for people who weren't reading x-men comics at the time because being like hey do you like murder mysteries here's an x-factor book hey do you like space faring you know fun times with people who may or may not be you know arrogant assholes like here's new mutants it's fun and it was putting books like this together and putting them you know, putting them out with a team that also featured characters. Like, I have I have been a die, and maybe again, this is the 90s kid in me talking. I have been a ride or die chamber guy for my Ooh. entire mm. life. And having him in that uh in that new mutants book was fantastic. And yeah. it's very hard to argue against uh Rod Ray's art. Yeah, his art. Oh my god. Incredible. So I love him. But at the same time, I mean Jan Baudillon's art, like Leah Williams. And again, the murder mystery of it is so such my bag that I think I'm, I'm definitely voting for X factor as well. Yep. It's the winner. Cross the board. We are. This is pretty good. I'm, I'm nervous. We're three for three. (laughs) Right now we're like just three friends hanging out, agreeing on everything. And I just don't feel like it's going to last much longer. The other shoe's going to drop very quickly, I'm sure. Um, Maybe in this one, we'll find out. Our next, uh, our next matchup involves Excalibur and giant sized X-Men. Now Excalibur 
as uh, Justin alluded to before, is basically Dungeons and Dragons with X-Men. Um, this book written by T.D. <laughs> Howard, a lot of the art was by Marcus Toe, who I absolutely adore. Yeah. Um, this was, if you include, you know, Knights of X, Betsy Braddock, uh, Captain Britain, might be one of the longest running threads throughout the Krakoan era, right up there mm-hmm. with like um, Percy's Wolverine. And don't worry, mm-hmm. we're getting to that. Um, but this was in a lot of ways, the book that felt to me when I first, when the Krakoan era was first getting started, felt the most hodgepodge and the biggest swing. Cause there were so many characters on here that I was like, okay, I like them in like isolation. I don't know if I can, I don't know how I'm going to feel about them on a team. Like having... Betsy and Apocalypse on the same team felt really foreign to me, but they work so well together. They they did. And it, it led into, you know, we talked about 10 of swords earlier. It led into a really great apocalypse story and to, to show what he had been working on for the mutant people the whole time and what he could do with this space in, and, and even to, tactfully address the Betsy and Canon stories after Absolutely. Ten of Swords. I just think in this instance, there's so many things about the Krakoan age that I feel really were to my benefit for not having read comics before this point. Totally. Because like what you're saying about those two characters together feels weird. Like, I don't know. I have no <laughs> frame of reference. True. I'm like, cool. They're together. That's awesome. Makes sense to me. They're both like mystical in some way. And we're in this other world situation. And I don't know. I really liked Excalibur because I, like I said, my, the beginning of my nerdiness was Jurassic Park and Harry Potter. So, like, if there's <laughs> magic, I'm in. Someone's doing spells, take me along for the ride. Someone's got a grimoire, let's I'm go. into it. 100%. Let's go. Dragons, please, yeah. every day. And then it also features the, I think, one of the best character arcs in any of those Dawn of, Era, Dawn of X books with Richter. Mm, Having him... Yes. Like we first find him like basically trying to confine himself to a coffin because he is his powers are so out of whack and out of control that if he makes contact with anything that has to connect him to the earth, like he could cause an earthquake and kill everyone around him. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and then to just see him develop into this druid status yeah. is so great. Yeah, I I will be honest. I know Alicia loved Excalibur, and I enjoy Excalibur. I really. I like it a lot after Ten of Swords. I feel like it really picks up with its focus. And the beginning, I was a little on the outs with, especially because you had three classic 90s characters there, (laughs) but not really doing anything. Rogue, Gambit, and Jubilee Jubilee. are there to bring readers. And then they're just kind of hanging out in the background. (laughs) Yes. Talking about cats and kids, and that's it. Yeah, it was... was one of those books where I would, I, because I'm just excited whenever Jubilee shows up anywhere, because yeah. I'm like, I need more Asian X Men. Yeah. Give me more Asian X Men. But like, it, you're absolutely right. Like, pre Ten of Swords, it was very much like, oh, hey, and Jubilee's here and she brought her yeah. kid. <laughs> Isn't that just fun? needs to call it the Betsy show? Yes. It was the Betsy show. It was, it a, is. It, you know, yeah. it, 
And I'm glad that we're now at a spot where we can have a solo that is Betsy's book. And, Absolutely. and she can just rock on that with a lot of the same plot threads, but just working more well, working better together because it's focusing on her story. Mm-hmm. Right. And matched up with this book, we have Giant Sized X-Men. Now, what Giant Size X-Men was, was a series of one-shots written by Jonathan Hickman, drawn by rotating artists. We had Giant Size, I'm not going to say Giant Size every time, because I'm just going to, it's, it's <laughs> going to burn my brain. Uh, we had Jean Grey and Emma Frost, drawn by Russell Dodderman, might be my favorite out of the whole thing. Um, Magneto, drawn by Ben Oliver. Nightcrawler, drawn by Alan Davis. Phantom X, drawn by Rod Ray. And Storm, once again, drawn by Russell Dodderman. What a lineup. Yeah, it really was. And and such really beautiful storytelling. The fact that Hickman had the artists lead the storytelling yeah. and just had like this idea of how things came together in the background was just a cool way of them playing off of each other. I don't know if we would also include Giant Size Thunderbird, which is completely separate from those five. That's uh, true. And I think it's just taking advantage of the naming convention, but those five were actually intended to tell a story that would have resulted in a child between Storm and Black Panther, Mm -hmm. but that got nixed by Marvel. Yeah, I'm going to say something that's going to be controversial. I'm ready. Which is, uh, I don't really, they don't really leave a lasting impression (laughs) in my mind. I don't remember them. I remember they were there, and I remember... Gene and Emma going inside Storm's mind. Yeah. That's it. Which is the the new X-Men yes. enough said issue redone almost panel for panel. But yeah, drawn just, beautifully. And I and right. I think yeah. that was the benefit for a lot of these is they they, they were made for the old heads. Right. They were made right. for us who yeah. had that nostalgia for these yeah. characters. And that yeah, Alan Alan Davis drawing Nightcrawler again, even even if Nightcrawler's barely in the issue and it's all about the Sidri and the and Warlock, like that's fine. Let's go. It's Alan but, Davis, yeah. Right. But oh, yeah, the art was beautiful. I remember the yes. art being beautiful, but story wise, I'm like, ooh, what happened in those? I don't know. I mean, they existed in the Magneto <laughs> one. They got the island that became where the Hellfire Gala is hosted. That's okay. really that, yep. yeah. And he teams up with Namor. And then I'll be honest, I can't remember a single thing from the Phantom X run. I just remember the art was gorgeous. The the world farm, that's really that's it. right. That he's got a, a another, a doppelganger of sorts. This is why I keep Justin around, because his <laughs> memory is so solid. And and the storm kind of brought in the combo of Phantom X's book with the Gene and Emma right. trouble that that spurred out of I think it was X-Men issue five mm-hmm. where got hit from the children of the vault right and it's it, x-men issue five page three justin will tell you it's actually later <laughs> in the book <laughs> towards the end she gets hit and she falls <laughs> you know what I'm saying? this brain is amazing i love this- it <laughs> but yeah it's it's interesting because like like we were saying with um with x factor and the brisson hickman new new mutants like you said, a lot of like the end game was kind of cut off by editorial, which is unfortunate. And I think mm-hmm. does need to be addressed when it comes to how it stacks up. Um, right. I absolutely love the Jean Grey and Emma Frost one, but it is because of that prior knowledge of the new X-Men issue 
So it's tough to have that match up against a book that is a complete book. And yeah, for for those reasons, I'd I'd have to vote for Excalibur. I think we're 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 four we're four for four. Okay. This one was probably the most like "Mm," I had weird feelings about Excalibur at one point, but it just has a really solid narrative and great art that builds throughout. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And it's knowing that because I wasn't aware of the um, of the plans for that, but it makes a lot more sense in hindsight. Uh, All of the you know choices that were supposed to be made for giant size. Yeah, um, it's it is a little sad that we don't you know get to see how that shakes out, especially with all of the you know status quo weirdness that's been going on with the Black Panther books. Right, mm. right, yeah, it's been all over the place, <laughs> hasn't it? Just, but that brings us to our next matchup. This one's going to be interesting as well. Uh, this is matching up X Men Unlimited against Way of X. Now, X Men Unlimited was made for the uh, Marvel Unlimited app. It was one of those Infinity comics, which were made for the webcomic crowd that you can swipe down vertically and you just read the entire story. Uh, The first arc, which I will say, and I probably shouldn't because it might taint my view of it, but I only read the first arc of this one, uh, was a Wolverine story uh, featuring uh, written by Jonathan Hickman, art by Declan Shalvey. I just love Declan Shalvey and how he draws Wolverine. But I'm not a webcomic reader that I, my fiance is much more into the webcomic realm. Um, so that definitely doesn't help my argument. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was made to be something for more casual reading. And I think that it's still going on if I... Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's on issue 80, 81. I'll tell you right like now, who's on. I have it written down. That's awesome. 82. 82. Yeah. So this week would be... 83. 83, when we're recording. Hell yeah. The super trans. Yeah. So, so since you have done more more on this book than I have, admittedly, shamefully... Um, do you want to you want to walk through what's been going on since the really good first arc? Yeah, there's so much. There's so much. <laughs> there, it's it's not just one continuous story. There's so many stories, and they all are like glimpses into mutants who you don't always who don't always get the attention in the regular books. Like there's a really great maggot story. Yeah. Um, we just recently had a really awesome marrow and feral story where they were going to Madripoor and like taking down the hellfire babies for uh, stealing mutant body parts. There's been the whole X-Men green with like nature girl, just going hard off the rails, just turning into a villain yeah, basically. Wolf. Um, there was there, the strong guy and yes. Madrox story that was pretty oh, solid. Awesome. There yeah. was um, there was this one with Doug, and like the voice of the island. Oh that, yeah, there was a there was a mutant language, and it like infested a bunch of people, and ooh. then like got in Doug, and Doug kind of helped the mutant language sort out how to like solidify itself and even the um there's an x-men apocalypse one yeah uh, uh, age of apocalypse version Ooh. where 
where like Xavier kind of him he somehow gets placed in a clone body in the Age of Apocalypse storyline and he has all the knowledge of Krakoa there there's slice of life stories that pepper and full fill out the larger narrative and, mm-hmm. and like she said gets to spotlight like there's the the siren banshee and black tom saint patrick's day issue and yes. it's just one issue it's oh, just one so issue cool. and it's just it's just silly fun and that's exactly what it should be yeah. you know it's just what whatever happened to this guy whatever happened to what what's so and so doing on the island and they like don't always do like major things for the general Krakoa but they they tend to have a little bit of a pull or an influence on like or a connection to what's actually happening they, in the main mm, books and they add seeds to the world yeah that, that yeah. can then be picked up and played with later on yeah and I think that throughout the the run the like scroller art has just gotten cooler and cooler like yeah the artists are like really digging into playing with how to make it look like it's one continuous image versus like feeling like they're separate images through your, that you're scrolling vertically through. Like there's like falling is really great. The landscapes really like tie everything together. I think I always look forward to reading it because it is true what you said. Like it is a much more casual read and it's something that like, when I'm getting ready for us to record, I can just be like, all right, I'm just going to read X-Men Unlimited. That's chill. And I can read it <laughs> and it's fun. And, you know. There was an exterminator story yeah. in it as well. Oh. So you, you get the, the foursome, the, the team doing something. Oh, in Unlimited, yeah. So, so you're going to need to start reading that again. <laughs> I'm going to start. Need, I'm, I'm going to go. I'm going to go read. Yeah. I'll, I'll be back. I'll be back. Right. See you later. <laughs> But no, that sounds amazing. I, I'm definitely going to give that a shot for sure. Because again, I I really enjoyed the first arc. And I, for whatever reason, was like, but I'm not really a webcomics guy. So, mm-hmm. but I mean, it sounds great. And I'm all for lore building and world building. And that sounds like, it sounds right up my alley. Yeah. yeah. Now, speaking of lore and world building... Oh, no. Uh, We are matching this one up against Way of X. So this was written by Cy Spurrier with art by Bob Quinn. And this is Nightcrawler establishing a religion. Sort of. (laughs) Right. Attempting to establish a religion. That's how it was. uh, It was sold to everybody. Yes. And then it became something wildly different. Now, this one was interesting because it challenges the concept of resurrection with Krakoa. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I think as a reader, I assumed we would eventually get to. But I wasn't mm-hmm. assuming it would be in this book. Right. Um, but it becomes this really great tapestry and this really great almost mystery of Nightcrawler trying to get to the bottom of this weird feeling that is permeating the island and permeating some of the most impressionable mutants and it kind of leading into something that is uh, kind of terrifying, which we will definitely <laughs> definitely talk about. Um, yeah. How did, how did y'all feel about way of X? So Nightcrawler is my favorite mutant. Hell and yeah. so with that brings a lot of bias. <laughs> uh, I think that, and, and then Bob Quinn is just, 
next level. Super great. The art is beautiful. The art's beautiful. And I like it as a Legion story. I really like David Holler in this. Yes. Uh, and even there's some sinister moments in there. If Are I'm you trying to it. sway me? With your <laughs> right I'm, now? I'm just preparing you to know that we are on different sides here. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I just, I feel like it did those big questions. It did, it yeah. tried to, you know, everybody loved X-Men issue seven when they introduced the crucible. And sure. at the end of it, we're left with these big questions of what Nightcrawler is going to do, what, what could you do? What is a soul in this world where you're able to resurrect? And while it did not answer those questions, it at least played in that world and filled out a couple of extra places on the island and got to see some more hangouts in the Green Lagoon, got to develop the Bower. We got to check in with Stacy X for yeah. the first time. Who even knows how long? Okay, all of that is great. <laughs> Conceptually, Fabian like, Cortez being somewhat redeemed. Yes. Somewhat. Okay. Cool. Somewhat. <laughs> However, in order for me to know that that's what happened in those books, I needed it to be explained to me. I just, mm. I Justin and I were having this conversation about size work a little bit, and more so Legion than Way, but yes, yeah, sure. but just generally the the writing feels like it needs more space to be able to, to be palatable. It's really trying to get a lot of really great, really awesome information into a comic that also has really beautiful art and you're torn between what you're focusing on. And like, I felt a little bit like I couldn't connect to it because in a sense to like, put it really simply, it was like, I felt the language was trying to use big fancy words that made me feel like I was dumb a little bit sometimes. Mm. And then I would not want to go back and reread because reading it took so much out of me the first time that I would like finish a page and I would go, um, what just happened? And then I would go, well, that's okay. I'll figure it out eventually by the end, instead of like going back and looking like rereading that page or whatever. And like, Overall, I think the storylines were great. I think conceptually, like this idea of what Nightcrawler is struggling with and and for a character who is so based in their religion and their morals and to have this idea that like there are no consequences to your actions because you can just be resurrected and his struggle with that was really interesting. But if I'm talking about my enjoyment of the book, it felt more like a chore for me to read than an entertaining, fun thing for me to read. So I just, it's not, it's not the winner for me. Um, and I'm okay with being on the outskirts of that being the, the solo vote for X-Men Unlimited. But I, I just, when I look at the two, like, and I say, okay, Alicia, what comes to your mind immediately? Like of those two, which would you choose? X-Men Unlimited is always enjoyable or mostly enjoyable yeah. and has a lot of stories that I really enjoyed. Whereas Way of X was like a chore for me sometimes. Which I think um, is fair. Cause like, again, it's, it's almost the opposite of what X-Men Unlimited was supposed to be like mm -hmm. being more of a casual, like, Hey, let's drop characters into scenarios and this kind of goes with all of Cy Spurrier's work. It's very heady and it's mm -hmm. very much like high concept. You need to be in on the ride 
when you get on or else it's going to be a bumpy one for you the whole time. Yeah. And there are definitely a lot of like concepts and higher things on that where it's like, I feel like I need to reread this issue because I obviously missed something. Mm -hmm. Um, And I honestly, that, that kind of goes for me with his Hellblazer work as well, which I adore and it's fantastic. But it is it is tough. I think for me, what I did love is obviously the Nightcrawler of it all. Kurt yeah. Wagner is a character who will always have a place in my heart. And him trying to find his way through all of the other stuff that's going on, all of these high concepts, all of these larger moral questions is something that I really enjoyed about the book. Um, so my vote would go to Way of X. What's it going to be, Justin? It's way of X. Oh! Even, even though, like, X-Men Unlimited is a ton of fun mm-hmm. and it, and likely has brought me more joy than way of X, if I'm going to scale it on that. <laughs> but in terms of, like, just, uh, I don't want to, and especially if anybody's listening to this that hasn't read it or, like, the one shot that we lead into after mm-hmm. way of X, like that just it was a big swing. It connects to Orcus. Yeah. It connects to some previous ideas. It's just I can't I can't not I can't not do it. Way That's of X. fine. That's fine. <laughs> I knew I would be the the you know the lone when we were talking about it, when we were talking about it yesterday, I was like, Oh man, this one, I don't know. It's tough. Yeah, and on on again, full disclosure, my vote does come specifically for the fact that I did not do my research. And if you do this, listener, make sure you do your research, read your books, because I may have been swayed the other way if I had read X Men Unlimited. Um, yeah, this is a tough one. This is for sure a tough one, and I think with the how different both of these books are, it's it's a worthy contender for it to be the first one that we have a disagreement on yeah i would agree with that especially just with how you know it's it's big it's got a lot of concepts to it yeah and not all that works for everybody so way of x will be moving into the second round with a two to one vote on this one um that hurts that hurts a little bit it hurts my heart y'all i knew it was coming i'm fine it feels weird It's I just, all good. We, we, we've friend. built this, camara- this camaraderie by agreeing on everything so far. And I know that this is going to be the gateway for more disagreements. And I just, it's, yeah. it's coming. I feel ready. it coming hard. <laughs> Our next matchup is going to be an interesting one. This brings us to Exterminators versus Cable. Now, Exterminators, uh, written by Leah Williams, art by Carlos Gomez, was one of my favorite books of last year. It's. Yeah. X-Men meets, you know, what was that? Uh, Grindhouse meets just every bit of Buffy the Vampire Slayer that I loved as a 90s kid. Um, It's fantastic. Putting together Dazzler, my girl, Boom Boom, uh, my other girl, Jubilee, and (laughs) also putting them with the girl, Wolverine, and Mm -hmm. having them fight vampires and deal with the collector and it's just it's it's a wonderful book and it feels even though we did get i think it was five or six issues it feels too short and i need three more you know seasons of it right 
I would um, like it to go on forever every day. Same, same. You can even have <laughs> a rotating cast if you want, but if you don't, if you want to stick with this version, I will take this team anytime. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It was just so much fun. It was every, every time, I, one of the few books that I've laughed out loud while reading. Same. And just gorgeous art. Carlos Gomez, I would follow him to wherever he's going next. He is what's selling me on Rogan Gambit currently. So it's like, okay. But that, that's just. It was just so fun. It and it's just, just so, so nice yeah. to like see the characters having like real life moments and ridiculousness right. and relationships. And like, I'm sorry, but you don't often see like raunchy girls. Yes. And they exist. Yep. Okay. They're here. This is how girls interact with their friends when they're around each other (laughs) and you never it's it's just no I shouldn't say never but it's very rarely depicted in like media and you I was just like yeah this is the stuff that we want (laughs) give me more of this it's so different from everything else yeah it's the only thing of its kind in the line even in this full lineup yeah that you know that just speaks to the casual side of these friends and what their relationship is outside of being superheroes. And that almost feeding into more superheroics is why it's what makes the book work. Like a personal, a breakup leads to them fighting vampires on a spaceship. Like, I mean, it's (laughs) as X-Men as you can get. And there's always room for more boom, boom. Yes. Thank you. Always room for more boom boom. I it it make it makes it makes my heart happy that we can agree on something so wholeheartedly while we also disagree mm-hmm. on Cyclops. Yes. <laughs> oh yes. Those are my top two X Men. Those are my top two. And it's it's the duality oh. of of me, I suppose. Um, yes. Yeah, I I love Boom Boom, and anytime she shows up for a book, I will one hundred percent be there for it. Absolutely. Which makes this matchup, at least for me, a little difficult because it is matching up against Jerry Duggan and Phil Noto's Cable, which I really enjoyed. I might be in the minority, but I love uh, young F-boy Cable. Like, I, <laughs> I really dig him running around with his Final Fantasy sword. I'm a big, yeah. I'm a big giant sword guy. Um and it's just, it's this really fun book of him getting to do the things that classically Cable isn't allowed to do. He's able mm-hmm. to have a little bit of romance. He's able to have fun fighting space monsters. And he's just able to screw up. And that's yeah. something that I I adore about this book. Um, obviously, the Phil Noto art is chef's kiss. Phil mm-hmm. Noto's art will always be appreciated. And yeah. again, this was, I believe, you know, coming out around the same time as Marauder. So Jerry Duggan was like firing on all cylinders when this was going on. And it was right. one of the strongest books, I think of that era. Yeah. And it was just, it was, again, it was very different. It was like a coming of age story yeah. for this, this hero that we've known since the nineties. And he showed up as a grizzled war vet, but now we get to see this entirely different side of, I was not a fan of, Babel, baby cable, kid cable, whatever you want to call him. <laughs> Babel, I love it. Um, <laughs> but by the end, I felt for him and yeah. I felt for the family too and, and what this did 
to their unit and, and to Scott and Jean for you know where they're left. I just felt like it, to then tie in some time travel shenanigans and yeah. fold it in on itself was just like a perfect ending. But I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I could have done without the Summers family drama or like the just the Summers family in general. Um, no, that's me. Um, no, no, no. I, I just, I appreciated the storytelling. I thought some of the like struggle of like cable v cable was yeah. interesting and, and where that kind of left him plus, at the end. Plus Deadpool. Right. Well, I love Deadpool. So that's a great, that's a point for the book. But <laughs> I just, I didn't dislike that story at all. Um, it just isn't a story that kind of like evokes an excited feeling in me when I think back on reading it. Mm-hmm, yeah. I think, you know, I I thought the relationship portion of it was interesting. Um, you know, the love, the young love. Yes. The cuckoos. The cuckoos <laughs> and, and getting to see that, like, you know, Emma's involvement and all of that. Um, but overall, I'm all, I always get a little frustrated with time travel shenanigans because I've been tainted by the Flash TV show and oh. they use time travel at the end of every season to reset things. And then that was like, you're not wrong. Okay, I hate time travel forever now. I'm done with it. So, so like, I just, you know, have my little issues with that but overall i mean i thought it was a great story i love jerry and almost everything he does he very rarely does anything that upsets me so like plus phil plus phil Phil, yeah and the art beautiful art and you know i think it was a really great book but it doesn't compete at all with exterminators in my in my mind personally there's not and i also don't have again the history of watching the character of cable struggle so i don't i don't have as much to sympathize with for you know like i I don't i don't have as much love for the character of cable that like makes me be like oh he gets this different path i'm like all right this is cool but (laughs) i don't care that much yeah. He's just a guy. He's just a kid, like, and his parents are mad at him, and they just want him to come to dinner with everyone, and also Wolverine. Yes, that <laughs> I I love, and we're going to talk about it when we get to uh, Hickman's X Men. But the just the Summers House on the Moon, yeah. Um, and and this book definitely your mileage will vary depending on your relationship with the Summers family for sure. Um, I also love any time that any of the cuckoos get romantically entangled with someone, how Emma reacts to that, because it's never good. (laughs) It's It's never never handled well. But I did love kind of the tragedy of the end of that story where it's like for this to be completed and for the story to have an ending, he has to leave his family again. And Mm -hmm. also, I mean, his involvement in the Krakoan age is what leads directly to one of my favorite moments in the entire Cohen age in Ten of Swords, where he yeah. gets that SOS out and Scott and Jean are like, we're going to pick up our son. I don't care yeah. if the path to the daycare is blocked. We are going to run our truck through the gate. Like mm-hmm. it's one of my favorite moments of those characters. And it's 
all happens because of little little baby little Babel. Yeah. <laughs> little Babel. I'm, I'm just little imagining. Babel. I'm imagining. Uh, and Doug's large wife beat me up, <laughs> and, and Dean's face. He's what? Which has been his forever face is beaten. just like mangled. He's just like. And then and scott just sitting down at the table eating that sub sandwich well that will always be in my mind because of that i i make that and if you go on twitter right now that is my my x-may banner on twitter every single year because i love that image so much um (laughs) it's it's iconic but yeah i I love this cable book and I want to make that very clear, but it is tough to put it against exterminators mm-hmm. for me, not for Alicia, as I can tell. Justin but, is not on the same page. Um, it's right, tough. Just your face made uh, me think you were like no. disagreeing. Well, My bad. I, I will say, I will say we, we know that Alicia's vote I'm assuming is for exterminators. Yep. Justin, 100%. how are you? How are you weighing? I love Cable, but it does not hold a candle to Exterminators in my mind. It was such a great book, but Exterminators is so many more things that you know. I I, I can talk up Cable as much as I want, yeah. but Exterminators just changed the game with some things. Yeah, I I man, I love the Summers family, and I love this book, and it kills me to have to vote for Exterminators. Right, it's but so tough, to. but you have to because it's, it's such a good book. Uh, so Exterminators, to much to my chagrin, does make it to the next round, but well deserved for sure. Yeah. yeah. Next up, we have two events, which again was not planned, but I think it's really interesting. Um, yeah. It's X Lives, X Deaths, or 10 Lives, 10 Deaths of Wolverine versus Trial of Magneto. This one's going to be interesting. Uh, 10 Lives, 10 Deaths tells the story post-Inferno of essentially just what happens next, right? Yeah. This is a story that has two parallel uh, storylines where Wolverine is basically trying to stop the death of every generation of Xavier, more or less, while <laughs> trying to protect him from the body-hopping agent smith version of omega red (laughs) while in the second narrative it's 100 just a chase scene between uh it's like it's catch me if you can featuring mystique and moira yeah i love this book this book is so freaking good um it's one of those series that when it's announced i don't i didn't know how i was going to feel about it but it became this ridiculous because at this point i think everyone knows that wolverine is kind of the bread and butter for many people who are not like super like knee deep in x-men stuff that if you slap wolverine on a on a book involving the x-men it's more or less probably gonna sell right yeah but this was so like this was so unlike anything I expected, um, yeah. and bringing in obviously Benjamin Percy arts with uh, Joshua Casara, Federico Vicentini, like come on, so good. 
and it was not at all the story that I thought we were going to be getting with this. Yeah. I loved these books so much. And just like, you know, it was time travel shenanigans. But <laughs> I, was I, was, it. I don't, it's like Ben Percy was writing it. So, all right, I'm in. Um, yeah. And the art and Technogan, I know that's not his real name. That's I love like, it though. Wolverine is what they call him, but. Babel and Technogan. Technogan in our hearts, like. Just that design and that concept and the tie-in and then like the whole Wolverine family coming together and fighting, like and let's just, go. And just the Moira. I mean, it took a hard turn for yes. Moira, but right. it was some of the most development we got for Moira since Hoxpox, really. Yeah, right. That it issue was... where Yeah, go ahead. That that she just revealed all of the mind explosions of multiple lives. But yeah, yeah. and just it for me was like countless like jaw dropping moments like every time we would read it we would go through it i would be like wait what's happening how is this going on and like as they're traveling through the timeline the aesthetics of the art changing with the different time periods Mm -hmm. and getting to see these like glimpses of wolverine's past you know i love when i get like a history education on the x-men while reading current books you know, like them giving me these little flashbacks and, and tidbits of things that I need to know make me feel like I know a little bit more now. And also, <laughs> I feel invested in these stories in a new way. And like the art, like in both books, was just so stunning and so detailed. Excellent. And every single issue was just absolutely gorgeous. I just, this holds a place in my heart as like, a really amazing event and I just I love I'll love it forever I think yeah I totally agree and and again it was a book that I thought I wasn't going to love and I didn't have any excitement for going in Mm -hmm. and it blew any expectation I had it out of the water for me yeah and Um, even just just the pacing of it too the the weekly the weekly releases Mm -hmm. and Sins of Sinister is benefiting from that a little bit as well where you just you're constantly invested in the story. It's the same as the Hoxpox feeling. I remember yeah. when I signed up for Hoxpox at the shop, I figured, all right, it comes out every week. I'll get the first issue. And then maybe three weeks later, I'll come back and get all the other ones. I was there every <laughs> single Wednesday. Just give me the comic. I need it. Just inject it into my veins. And that's definitely a feeling that I can imagine happened with this as well i will say i didn't read this when it was coming out because i was overwhelmed with like all of the x-men stuff that was going on so i was like i'm going to wait until it is collected and that is how i'm gonna read it reading through it and i i think i read it through for the first time like a month ago or so but reading through it i was like how I can't imagine waiting a week to go into the next chapter for this. Yeah. It's it's terrifying at the prospect. And then also, it was incredibly confusing for me at the last Hellfire Gala, where I'm like, wait a second, Moira's a robot now? Right, right. How did we get here? How did we get here? And lucky lucky for me, Leland at my shop was like, yeah, did you read X-Lives, X-Deaths yet? And I'm like, no, I haven't read it yet. And so I knew that I was going to get answers and they were just as satisfying, if not more so than I was expecting. Mm-hmm. We've said a lot of good things about this book and yeah. that is going to make this 
very tough for me because it is matched up with Trial of Magneto. Written by Leah Williams with art by Lucas Wernick. This was the book that ended X-Factor prematurely and also was the direct follow-up to all the events of the Hellfire Gala. Yes. Because this was the this was essentially uh, X Factor 1.5 featuring the murder of the Scarlet Witch, and yes, it was another murder mystery which I adore, and it featured Magneto, maybe the most compelling character in the Dawn of X, for that era specifically of the Krakoan Age, like. Everything that Magneto touched, I'm like, I am there for. I have to know what he's yeah. doing. And this book was everything that I expected and nothing that I expected at the same time. But mm. this book didn't have quite the same acclaim as X Lives, X Deaths. I have heard a lot of scuttlebutt about it being a letdown or not, you know, a good story. And I've heard all of the naysayers and I have dug my heels in on how much I love this story. Um, I I adore Trial of Magneto. I'm not really going to be a naysayer, but I am going to say that I wanted more murder mystery than I got. Fair. Yeah. I... I think that the story in itself was really beautiful and what came out of it is really amazing. And I enjoyed it while I was reading it, but I, you know, where it was set up in this like deep investigation of like the whodunit of it all, I really wanted more of that. And I also think that the, X office did this book, this story, a disservice mm-hmm. by deciding to call it trial of Magneto right. because they put a connotation on it. People were expecting other things. So I think that's why that's fair. There's like all these people saying that it wasn't what they wanted or it wasn't what they expected because they have what the trial of Magneto is in their mind. Yeah. And then you get to this and there isn't really a trial and there's not as much of this like investigativeness as you want. We just have this really beautiful redemption story. And that story is so powerful and so beautiful in itself. But the title of the book just kind of put this weird wash over it that made it difficult. And like with us reading it and, and talking about it every week and kind of having to sift through that what are the the people on the internet saying and how are we deciphering what that is versus how we felt about the book? It left me with like a lot of mixed feelings about it. I mean, in the end, I think the story is beautiful and what it did for Wanda is really incredible. Um, But I would have liked a little bit more like mystery and crime solving for sure. Uh, I just, this, I, I enjoyed this story but nowhere near as much as I wanted to. And I feel like it's, it's a lot of what we're talking about. It's the eventized nature of it. It's the fact that if this had existed as an arc in X factor and was not brought to the front and say, Hey, everyone, it's an X-Men event. I feel like it would have played things down. The, the Kaiju battles were thrown in because (laughs) you needed to have, (laughs) Some, I love big some kaiju yeah. fight, right? You know, and and I just there were some things that just felt like they were taking it to another level that 
it didn't need to be at. Like, it could have been more of a character driven, more of a exploration of these relationships in the same vein that X Factor was. And I felt like mm-hmm. it had a lot of pressure on it from the line to be something else. And those two pieces kind of melded together in a weird way that didn't really hit for me when I was reading it. It saved itself in the end for me personally. I really do like the Elysium Fields. I really do yeah. like the fact that the first one that we get is Thunderbird. There he is. And I just, I, I was so blown away by the toad of it all. Like, oh my God. Just, yes. So infuriating to me. Yeah. Like, what do you mean? You guys know that's not real. <laughs> yeah, everybody did. knows. And it did set him up for everything that he would be doing afterwards. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I I definitely agree. The The misnomer of Trial of Magneto is mm-hmm. unfortunate. We didn't get a single courtroom drama issue, right. which no, is unfortunate. Why not? Because there are so many people who love arguing on Krakoa. Right. Right. I I definitely, I I see what both of you are saying. But again, it comes down to me with that redemption story that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. This Wanda storyline has been mm-hmm. in place since 2006. Right. And to finally get that arc completed, and not just completed, but with the nicest, most pristine, bought at home goods bow that you could find, <laughs> like it was magical to me. That last issue is so compelling. I I love that book. Um, I have to give the vote to Trial of Magneto. I recognize I'm in the minority here, but I love that Trial of Magneto book so much. You know what I think is good about this? That we have differences. You know, it's like when we're, when we're different, when we're coming at it from a different perspective, that's what I'm trying to say. We're still giving praise. like praise to those 100%. books, right? Yeah. Like, Child Magneto is getting a vote. It's not going to win, but it's getting <laughs> <Spoilers. a vote. laughs> it's getting a vote. It's not. It's 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 not one of the books that just got no votes. Right. You know, that's a that's something powerful for it to be said. So on that note, um, I'll be voting for Lives and Death, <laughs> Justin. I will also be voting for Lives and Death. <laughs> I enjoyed. Leah Williams's work, yeah. Even, even to have Lucas oh. Wernick really, oh yeah, crushing really it, up. He can do because no of wrong. that, right? So he he had gotten hired for that X Men issue, X Men Twenty One by Hickman. Mm-hmm. He's one of the four artists there, and then that just put his name in the pile yeah. to then take on this, and then to be crushing it on Immortal X Men. Yes, uh, the things that came out of it are really great, but I just. In yeah. terms of like week to week enjoyment and hype, it was it was lives and deaths. That's fair. For me. So begrudgingly, X Lives <laughs> and X Deaths makes it to the second round. I want you to know I fought for Trial of Magneto for all I had, but no, I You did. You put up a really good fight. You I, did. I definitely think that like as a complete package, X Lives, X Deaths is definitely deserving of going into that second round. And it is going to have a hell of a time in the second round um next up i feel like this one might be a little bit easier of a matchup yeah this is going to be x-men red against fallen angels x-men oh. red 
might be my favorite current X-Men title. It is very tough, but as a book that is X-Men in space, uh, (laughs) I couldn't ask for more. Written by Al Ewing, kind of the master of Marvel Cosmic right now, uh, drawn by Stefano Caselli, who I adore on every book I've seen him work on. Yeah. This is planet this is all planet Araco all the time featuring all of all of your favorite characters from 10 of Swords. If you can name one and spell their name, you will get a no prize <laughs> from me. Obak uh, never held. <laughs> uh I am a uh, I'm a big fan of Vulcan. And so I love him in this book. Um I saw your eyes drop so hard and I already feel it. Um, <laughs> at the mere mention of he who was How never conquered. A Summer's brother. How oh, dare Vulcan. I mention a Summer's brother? I Vulcan in this. Yeah, Vulcan just, is awesome. As so the manipulated, just fallen emperor of yeah. the Shi'ar, playing into Bran's hands. And there's just so much. I know. And, and this is the book that made me like Birdo, this is his yeah. this is his redemption in my mind. And there's so much. Like there's everything that happens with Magneto. There's Storm. the Fisher King. There's the Fisher Storm. King. Like the Fisher family. Like, let's that, go. That issue about death. Ugh. And it was just the three different stories about death. Yeah. To have no real bombastic superhero wrong slide, yeah. Wrong slide talking yeah. about like, it was so poetic. It was so deep. I I loved Sword, and I know that you did not. It's okay. We will get to that. that. But, and I only say that just because I'm looking at what Sword is up against. (laughs) uh, I I just feel like X-Men Red took all the energy that Sword had already built up in my mind and then put it on this very clear path to be this uh, Storm and the Brotherhood. Yeah. Storm. It just feels like royalty. Like X-Men Red is the royalty of X-Men comics right now. It is regal. Yeah. It is powerful. It. I can't think of an issue of X-Men Red that I've read and been like, oh, I didn't really like that one. No. Yeah. You know? Same. It's, it's one of those books that you know is going to be a banger when it's announced. And it yeah. continues to fulfill that role every single month. Yeah. Um, I, I adore that book. It features my second favorite, Summer's Brother. And... <laughs> Even though, and and it also features one of the best beatdowns of that Summer's Brother by Iskavian yes. Beaton. Um, yeah. It's phenomenal. I love the the you know socioeconomic building of Araco. I love the council. I love all of yeah. the different pods of people. Their belief that if you die, you should die, and resurrection is basically a sin. And so, mm-hmm. you know, Magneto and Storm have that moment where we're like, we are rejecting what we know in favor of becoming one with this culture. I still remember the yeah. fist pumping moment at the end of the first issue where it's like, yeah, the X-Men can't do this stuff, but the Brotherhood can. Oh, yeah. And I was yeah. just like, yes, yeah. this is the oh, book. Yeah. I definitely just got goosebumps. Ah, it, it, it just gives storm in the doorway. Yeah, in the coolest storm look. I mean, yes. oh does. my god, Russell Donovan's design. So good. Uh, so good. 
And it's filled with incredible designs. All of the Iraqi people there are amazing. It also, I mean, need I say more about the hour of Magneto has begun. Like, again, a fist-pumping hype moment, unlike many other things. Oh, praise Tarn. I love Tarn. Tarn. Oh, my God. Yeah, we're big. We we say praise Tarn in this house all the time. (laughs) We talked to Zeb Wells, and he was like, you know what? Oh, if that... If that's how he's got to die, that's a cool way for him to go out. Yep. That was yeah. amazing. The coolest yeah. thing. Yeah. I, I I love that book. Um, and then there's the other book. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Fallen <laughs> Angels. Um, written by Brian Hill, drawn by Simon Kodransky, who I really appreciate. I, yeah. I really, I was introduced to Simon Kodransky through uh, Ultimate Spider-Man. And... Brian Hill, I've really enjoyed on several different books that I've read by him. This book was not made for me. And Mm. I can respect that because I have talked to people who really love this book. Obviously, the cast is fantastic. You have Quanon. You have Wolverine, Laura. You have Babel, who I am going to refer to as Babel from (laughs) now on. Thank you for that. Um, Husk and Bling, too, having them on there. I love the team. I love the idea that this is supposed to be, hey, maybe this is Uncanny X-Force the Redux, but in the Krakoan age. But it also only got six issues and was quietly canceled. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I actually, I really liked it. Like, this was, so before. We finished Hawksbox as like a go through it, Justin, tell me what's happening. Then I went and I reread it. Mm. And then I was like, you know, reading. And I really liked it because I thought it was really important for Quanan to get her own identity. Like that's what really stuck out to me was like, we did this, we had a conversation about like, who is Psylocke? What's Betsy got to do with it? Who, like, how are they intertwined? How are they individuals? And she really didn't have any individuality for so long. She wasn't, she had no identity. She was just a body for Betsy to be in. And I just thought it was really cool to get to know her and to see that she was getting her own identity and her own story and a little bit of her history though it was a little wonky what was going on (laughs) like her baby and the drugs and the what's happening the technology infused demon children but i like i liked it i don't know why but for some reason it gave me like sin city vibes yeah i could absolutely see that I feel like I was like, yeah, okay, I'm into this. Tell me more about this person who was trapped inside the mind of another person for all these years. I I thought that that was really cool. And even, um, and even just to give Sinister a place. Yeah. And, and then to set up Hellions to look at it right. retrospectively. Uh, yeah, I mean, it doesn't hold a candle to X and Red. <laughs> I, I'm so sorry to say Not that. but yeah. I actually was one of the few people who was enjoying it when it was happening. Yeah, it's it's a book that I I feel like I probably would have appreciated later on, like issue 15 or 20 when they're like really diving into that stuff, but sadly, I mean I did I didn't love the first issue. I thought the setup was really cool, the team was really cool. There was some just something about it that I didn't vibe with, and then 
I distinctly remember this. I was getting, I think we were getting ready for like Reign of X when like Hellfire Gala is going on and everything. And I'm like, I should check back in with Fallen Angels. But, oh. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's gone. Oh, okay. Well, um, which made it a really easy reread, which was great. But yeah, it's, it's unfortunate. But again, I don't think anything that it could have done would make it superior to x-men red in that in that way it's a fantastic team um but x-men red is like you said the the royalty of the x-men line yeah it really is you know great great story to differentiate kanon and and betsy to actually give some agency to to kanon and and to even set up babel and wolverine for their next stories but whether or not it was meant to, to continue on, I I read that Brian got some film work around that time, and that's why he had to leave. So I don't know if they knew that going in and had planned these other stories for Babel and Wolverine. But uh, I just, you know, I, I there's nothing that you could say about this book that would even make me question it against X Men Red. <laughs> There's it's nothing. an unfortunate pairing. It is. By it is. the auto-generated just, system. Just the presence of yeah. X-Men Red is an unfortunate pairing for most. <laughs> yes. It, it's it's going to be tough, I think. It's the, the randomizer gods were not in favor of Fallen Angels. No. Uh, so X-Men Red does move on. And that brings us to our next matchup. Sabretooth versus Sins of Sinister. Now, as we're recording this, Sins of Sinister has not wrapped up yet. We are still waiting for the Sins of Sinister Dominion. However, Mm -hmm. I kind of feel like we know where this is going. We know what's going on more or less with what the book is. We know that, or I'm going to assume, I don't want to say I know. I'm, I'm going to assume that this is going to kind of go the way of Moira's previous lives. And we will snap back maybe right right it's just who's in power who's yes. in control there's definitely going to be a snapback but i have decided to assume nothing <laughs> because that's fair every time i think i know what's happening in sins of sinister i don't good point um, which is a good thing which is yes. great and you know, I've I've really enjoyed Sins of Sinister, and I've been waiting since I was first introduced to X Men comics for Rasputin to come back. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, she's here, and we've seen her in preview images for post Sins of Sinister. So she's staying, yeah, hopefully, yeah, all across all the things. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's difficult to to kind of like think of it as a complete entity because we don't because we don't know how it ends and i also just i I feel like i could just like flip a table when it's over or throw a parade (laughs) i'm not sure like it could go either way which i think Uh, explains mr sinister as a character in the krakoa right yeah, yeah it's true but i have really been enjoying it yeah. As and, an entity and, up to this point. And just the ambitious nature of it as a story. Yeah. And, and its format of storytelling, this this alpha and omega book ending it, and then these three independent but also kind of weaving together 
snapshots along three different time frames like yeah. it it just exists in a world of itself there's to my knowledge nothing that is sim similar and they do say okay it's like if you took house of x and mixed it with age of apocalypse yeah i see it you could definitely but see it I, I, yeah. right but i just feel like it it does something so unique that yeah. just in terms of storytelling is is worth applauding and I think with the, like you mentioned, the wide span of time going from the first year to the 10th year to the 100th year to a thousand years later and involving, you know, those three miniseries that have wrapped up, um, the narratives are incredible. I, I love mm -hmm. having, I, and I love the specific perspectives that mm. they decided to go with. They wanted to have Wagnerine who I love, I adore. Yeah. I will follow her to the ends of the earth. She's yes. incredible. Um, juxtaposed with all of the Quiet Council stuff. Juxtaposed with Rasputin, who I will also follow to the ends of the earth. Yes, that's um, well. more, more mutants with big-ass swords, please. <laughs> I, I really do enjoy this. It's interesting to look at it in a vacuum, where you look yes. at it as, this, it's this incredible story. But in the wider uh, narrative of Krakoa, and as we are looking at Fall of Krakoa following this, how much this is going to influence that, and this kind of being Sinister's really bad, no good day, spanning into <laughs> a millennia, um, it's, it's, it's hard to judge, and it's hard to gauge mm -hmm. exactly where this is going to fall in the wider scope of things where he's with Sabretooth, uh written by laval drawn by leonard kirk it's a much more intimate story it's a lim mm. limited yeah. series that deals with Sabretooth in the pit meeting people two of my favorites who i love orphan maker and manny um, the best it's it's an interesting story about rebellion and it's a prison break story ultimately with mm -hmm. you know one of the worst people that we know making maybe a really good point about all of the imprisonment yes. and about possible discrimination. Who knows? There's, yeah. there's yeah. a lot of that commentary in it that I really appreciate. Yeah. It's really beautifully done. The Saber tooth is so, yeah. so beautiful in the social commentary in this, like, the wet like the way that he interweaves himself within the pit and you know what's what's what he's created there and the versions of himself that he interacts with and how it connects to these other characters and the new characters that are brought in and the the unfairness of why they're even in the pit in the first place and just like yeah. really reflecting on a negative aspect of Krakoa that we you know, has been kind of swept under the rug by the council, by everyone. It's like, we've put Sabretooth in the pit and then we're just not going to talk about it. And it's really like, we're just going to wash our hands of that thing. We didn't do that. We're, we're on to bigger and better things, but we're kind of seeing the ramifications of that. And yeah. also learning that there's like seedy, shady business going on because we've got these other mutants in the pit. And I remember starting to read Sabretooth and and really just being like wow this book is amazing and like yeah. really feeling blown away by the 
the art of the story and the detail of what was happening and, and not expecting it to be what it was at all. And, and the depth of the data pages. And yeah. Just the number of real life historical events that it would weave into and to, to really just be a, a social commentary on Krakoan structures, but also our, our world structures yeah. and, and the, this concept of the, the mutants that go below the radar, the ones that are not cared about essentially that are, are able to just be the nameless legion of voices that start a grassroots campaign that is essentially manipulated by Sabretooth. And whenever you can tell me a compelling story with a villain as the lead, like that, that's a win. Which is an interesting, again, against auto-generated. Yes comparison of like a villain as the lead of this story and yeah i mean listen i'm not gonna lie to you when we like kind of saw this bracket and i was just like rapid fire what's my first choice i was like sense of sinister but i as we're like really talking about this i'm like ooh, is that actually the answer <laughs> because sabertooth is so beautiful just like and i also just felt like so important yeah like the the writing in in all of Sabretooth and in Sabretooth in the Exiles, like the things that it's point that it points out about the worlds in which we actually live in and the terrible things that have actually occurred in the worlds that we actually live in 100%. and parallels them in the story is just such an important thing. It's such an important story to be told that it really makes me think like, hmm, what do I do in this situation? <laughs> Yeah, it's. I felt the same way because when when this came up, I was like, "Oh, it's an easy win, since it's sinister." Right. And then, like, getting prepped for this and rereading Sabretooth, I, I th- the 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 doubt started to creep in. And now that we're talking about it, I'm like, I th- I Uh-oh. think my votes for Sabretooth. I think that's that's gonna be that's gonna be my vote. Final answer for me. I think I'm also gonna go Sabretooth. I I want to as well, and I just I feel like narratively, yes, like what it adds to the actual conversation of Krakoa. But then you just like, like Sinister's looking at me. Like, well, what about my crazy <laughs> Those eyes? Yeah, but what yeah. about Rasputin? But what about Rasputin? But, but even what Rasputin, about Mother Righteous? Ra- Mother Righteous Mother came Righteous. out of Legion of X. Rasputin came out of Powers of Ten. You know yeah. these are. This is just picking up the pieces and and making a stew. I think it's Sabretooth for me as well. I, I, you know, I have a hard, it's probably the hardest vote that we've gone through thus far. Mm -hmm. Most difficult matchup, I I think. Yeah, I think it's Sabretooth. All right, Sabretooth. Regardless of who it is, it's losing the next round. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Sabretooth does move on. It feels good to be on the same page again. Yeah, yeah, let's let's never us. disagree uh, again. Uh, right. Which brings we'll us to Hellions and New Mutants. <laughs> uh, Hellions is Hellions holds a special place in my heart um, because I didn't read that book initially. Mm. There was so many books that were going on, and oh. it kind of got lost in the shuffle for me. Uh, obviously, written by Zeb Wells, drawn by Stephen Segovia, last X May. I was uh, brought on uh, 
by Dallas Lexing and from the Comics Collective podcast to talk about Hellions. And I'd never read it before. And I don't think out of all of the um, Krakoan Age X-Men books, I have ever kicked myself harder for not reading it while it was coming out. Yeah, This book is incredible. All the stuff that I wanted Fallen Angels to be, like, I I just want another Remender Uncanny X-Force. Hellions is. And also bringing in all of the incredible humor that Zeb Wells brings to any book that he works on. Yes. Um, bringing in Havoc, my third favorite Summer's Child, <laughs> and teaming him with Quanon. Also teaming them with Orphan Maker, Nanny, Empath, the right. Empath of it all. Right. Yeah. As well as Gray Crow. Gray Crow. I out. Why do I always have such a hard time saying this? Gray Crow and Wild Child. The Age of Apocalypse yeah. boy in me. I was like, wild child, I recognize you. Hello. I've seen you before. Uh, I you love this book. The beginning. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I loved Hellions when it was coming out. Well, well, when I was reading it. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's, it's really difficult for me because I also have become a big fan of new mutants. Yes. And I like, I struggle because Hellions is such a great book. It's so good. The things that happen with the characters, the, the reaction to the craziness that sinister is and, and just having like sinister be in charge of these people. Like it's, it's, it's insane how good Hellions is. It's like when you think back to yeah. all the books, like as it was starting out, you're like, all right, what are your standouts? Like Hellions is always on that list. Yeah. But then for it to be paired against Vita's run of New Mutants, I'm like, oh. Heartbreaking. But yeah. there's so many things about that that I really enjoy and i really feel connected to and it's like hellions is like a good time all around and like that's why like we praise tarn right from yep. hellions but like i don't know i don't know Beautiful i might sacrilege i might need to like sit here and like listen and be swayed in a direction because i feel super conflicted about this this particular pairing well i'll tell you I have no struggle here. As much <laughs> as I love Vita Ayala's run on New Mutants, because it really took what was a problem book in my mind and mm-hmm. really returned it back to the roots of what New Mutants is meant to be, mm-hmm. is yeah. kind of ushering in the next generation, helping, working with, and having team stories, having a couple of classic characters, bringing Rod back in. Yeah. All those great things. Hellions was just all killer, no filler. It was just win after win, every issue, the arcade story, oh, yeah. the Tarn Confirm. story. Yep. Confirm. Like, oh my gosh. Oh. The the relationship, the the quiet relationship between Psylocke and Grey Crow. So the good. Nanny and Orphan Maker. Also just, Psylocke and Wild Child. Yeah. Yes. It's like becoming the alpha to Wild Child. Maddie. Like there was just every oh, every yeah. issue and every arc just stands out as oh, wow. something that I'm sorry. But I I'm guess not, I'm it's tough. It is tough because like New Mutants did so much, and I I love like you said the 
the first half of the, you know, the Hickman and Brisson led story was, I think, a very different story to the second half with Vita mm-hmm. writing essentially, hey, what if we had your 12 year old babysit your seven year old like it's a story of the kids now having to step into leadership roles and any time that you give me gabby kinney in the same book as armor i am signed on i just pretty much anytime you give me gabby i'm there like let's go armor's cool but gabby is she's gabby for me is where it's at and armor should be on the x-men yeah armor deserves thank you I have been voting for armor for years and I feel like I've been shouting into the void. So Poor thank armor. you. Poor armor. She deserves it. She yeah. does. Um, she really does. Yeah, it's 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 tough, especially because like as we got to the end of that run when um uh Charlie Jane Anders kind of took the last few issues, also bringing in amazing, amazing new characters and mm-hmm. really kind of breathing life into now you know new mutants lethal legion which is just getting started yeah, um, right. which is why it is not on this list uh <laughs> i really adore this book also i'm i'm a big magic fan i love <laughs> i love her she is she can be in every book that's why when yes. she, it was oh. like she's in the x-men i'm like i have renewed my interest in the x-men <laughs> i like you know i'm like Oh, Emma's my favorite. Oh, Kate's my favorite. And then like, I've been like, hands down. Nope. It's always magic. It's magic. Let's go. And it's then Wolverine. Magic. And but then Laura. also Laura. <laughs> but then yeah, also Boom Boom. And, and also yeah. Okay. It's just, tough. You know, if I could just have them all around all the time, that'd be great. But I totally agree. Like magic, let's go. Like that magic story. Which also does, you know, does feature her dealing with the ramifications of like, hey, I left Maddie in charge of hell, essentially. Like, what is my role now? I think that that's why this is so difficult is because Vita's run of New Mutants is such a large scope of book versus what Hellions was. And it's like that's also the struggle with new mutants is that it, it bounces around mm-hmm. so frequently that it's hard to be like, what, what is the, like, what's the secret sauce of it? What's the thing that's, what are you voting on? Are you voting on that magic story? Are you voting on what happened with like Gabby and the whole, um, Shadow King. That's the Shadow one. King, yeah. Right. Are, are we vo- like, is that what we're talking about? Because there's so many arcs within that run. Whereas Hellions is like a little package of ridiculous joy. Yes. You know? So you're like, Ooh, where do I go? It is, it is incredibly difficult. And oh, man, uh, I, I'm going to say my final vote. Uh, is going to go to Hellions. I'm going to, I have I have to give it to Hellions. Um, it's tough. It is it is really it's it's choosing between your two favorite children. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's really hard. I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with you, and I'm gonna go Hellions because Hellions deserves to make it to the next round. Yeah, it it's just when people ask me what my favorite book of the Krakoan era is or has been, it's always in the top five. Yeah. And 
Uh, as much as I enjoy Vita's section of New Mutants, it is not in that same ranking. So it's just Hellions like is a just clean answer yeah. Hellions, <laughs> I have no struggle for this vote. As much as I enjoy Vita's run, I just Hellions is clear as one of my favorite books of the era. Well, it sounds like Hellions is making it into the next round, which brings us to our next matchup, Legion of X versus Wolverine. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Legion Everything of X. Good. Oh, no. <laughs> Legion of X as the sequel to Way of X, uh, written by Cy Spurrier, drawn by Jan Bezaldwa, um, features Nightcrawler and Legion having established the Legionnaires, not those ones. Um, <laughs> they are here to protect the spark. And it's got a really cool team. Juggernaut's here, even though he's not technically a mutant. Uh, you got... He's, he's so good. You got Pixie. You got Dr. Nemesis, who I always adore whenever he shows up. Uh, Blindfold is there. Dust is there. It's a great follow-up that doesn't hide the fact that Legion is the co-protagonist, unlike Way of X, which right. was very much, oh, wait, David Holler's here? Wonderful. Yeah. Um, Legion of X is a really fun book, and I think it's one of those books that feels like a natural progression from the previous story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I can appreciate the concept of Legion of X, and that is another one that the art I could just stare at the art in, in the, Legion all day. That's so psychedelic the and so, yeah. so beautiful. Um, it's it's really similar to me for my reasonings. Like my dislike of it is really similar to Way of X in that like mm. I just, I feel like there need to be more pages in those books so that the writing can breathe a little bit more. So that you have a little bit more space to get the message across instead of this like condensed nugget of information that literally feels so hard to get through to crack. Like I think conceptually so many cool things happened in Legion of X. And for me, it was like, I would read it and I would be like, kind of like wishy-washy on it. And then we would talk about it and I would be like, Oh, I like that. That's right. good. You know, but <laughs> I needed that like additional breakdown that additional conversation to really realize dig into it, it to real yeah, yeah to really realize what what was happening but i also really liked the legion stuff i think there's so much potential for what's happening and i <laughs> yeah. love a good like let's slap charles xavier yeah. right in the face and tell him he's horrible that's that's why you love it because we know yeah. if, if there's anything we know about me it's that i despise charles xavier more than anyone else <laughs> in the entire x universe so um and you know i think getting to see who legion is and who he's become and also so intrigued by like all of his alters and like where they're at and what kind of business is happening there. There's a lot of interest and a lot of really cool storylines and a lot of great conceptual threads that happen. But I also just feel like it's so heady yeah. and it's like, yeah, 
it's like going to for me what it kind of feels like is like when i was a kid and i used to have to go to sunday school when i was at church and like they would be like explaining the things to me and i'd be like well i don't really want to take this in right now when i get a snack you guys have grape juice like what's going on and it's kind of how i felt about it like i would read it and i would like it after the fact but it's a lot but it's good but it's good it's a quality story i'm not taking that away from it for sure i remember in the first half wanting to enjoy it more than i was actually enjoying it Mm. Uh, i I do i love the big concepts i love the art and what it builds i really enjoy it i think it's better than way of x it just interesting it has a lot of big picture things that I I felt like I had to read it twice most times that it came out. And I think towards the end, it really picked up for me in in really delivering on the bigger picture ideas and connecting through. It just felt like, especially in the beginning couple of issues, oh, here's this thing happening and this thing happening and this thing (laughs) happening. But really, it's all the same thing from different angles. Mm. And I just, the, the... the weird eyeball with the baby on it on the top and God, it's so weird. Weaponless Zen. That but was that Weaponless was cool. Zen is the best yeah. part. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, Weaponless yeah. Zen sleeping her way through giant size X-Men roster. <laughs> That's great. But I just It's a lot. I, yeah. It, and just the premise of, oh, we're we're gonna make a religion. Psych, we're cops. You know? <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> what is this book? <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. We're cops now. <laughs> gotcha. We're going to take you to astral jail. Yeah. Astral jail. And, but it's and better think, than the pit. Yeah. Marginally. Right. Uh, yeah. And I think, you know, having the context of in between there being that big reveal of, you know, we're all friends here. Uh, the big uh, onslaught reveal. Yeah. Yeah which was huge and, you know, was this big stopgap in between both series. Getting that added context really does, I think you're right, make Legion of X a little bit, not better, but maybe a little bit more palatable than Way of X. Mm. Yeah, I think so. Because it just, it it tees up all the big things happening in the brains, in the behind the scenes, in the mentality, and then really explores the struggle between legion and xavier and and just the how they're so at odds but in the grand scheme of things when you're putting it up against wolverine which um it's it's not tough in my opinion (laughs) i mean it's tough for legion of x to get oh yeah for sure you're yes that especially with recent issues of wolverine and you just think like it's it's kind of the flip side of of what I was saying where like New Mutants has so much, right? And you're like, oh, but it bounces around. Where do I pick and choose? Like Wolverine is such a staple. And I am for sure a huge, like I have issues with this, what you all were talking about before where like, it's like, oh, if you just slap Logan on a book, like everyone will read it. (laughs) I have issues with that. It's true. And I know it's true, but I don't like it. I don't like it either. Um, no, nobody does, but we we buy it still. <laughs> but, <laughs> but there's something about the fact that Ben Percy is indeed Wolverine that yes. he just has such a way with his voice 
and the artists that have rotated through and just like Donovich and Kubert. I, I mean, it does tie a lot. Like there's, there's like a wishy-washiness of like, do you like Wolverine because it's Wolverine or do you like Wolverine because it's X-Force because there's, there's a blurred line between those two titles sometimes, yeah. but I really, I really enjoy the Wolverine title. And I know there are issues that some people don't like, you know, Surfer Wolverine is that a was X Force. Oh, that, that was, was X Force. Yeah. Okay, but cool. Yeah, as I was mentally running through the issues, <laughs> I was like, no, wait, that's that's X Force. That yeah. that's a point against X Force, not Wolverine. You know, so Wolverine had that great story after. Uh, I think it must have been after Lives and Deaths when he's like the the cowboy private eye on yeah. Madripoor yes. and, and Solemn. And I love Solemn. Oh, yeah. Love that Solemn. was such a good arc. And then the Deadpool stuff was just yes, all oh, sorts of new Deadpool. life. Yeah. There's a lot of good that comes with the Wolverine comic. And then just what's been happening with Beast is infuriating, but just Whoa. really good storytelling. It's incredible. Yeah. yeah. And it's fascinating too, like Wolverine and maybe X Force, depending on release date, is the longest running unbroken book in the Krakoan era. Yeah. Yeah. It's the yeah. only yeah. one. Those are the only two that are there that were from Dawn of X. Yeah. Right. And that's some that's saying something, yeah. you know? It it's got that uh that Snyder Capullo New Fifty Two run with it, where it was the only one that was there at the beginning and there at the end. Right. Yeah. Um, I I I got to give the vote to Wolverine. I think it's yeah, it's, yeah. it's a hard Wolverine. It's for all me. three, yeah, yeah. It's Wolverine. So this next one's gonna be interesting because <laughs> it's Sword against Inferno, which feels unfair in a way. Yeah, because Sword is such a good book. I love Sword. It's such a. It's. I already did this, but it's X Men in space. <laughs> written by al ewing art by valerio shiti who yeah. is yeah. a rock star you've got alpha flight they're gone and now abigail brand is creating sword you got magneto you got whiz kid my boy whiz kid yeah, yeah. whiz kid babel shows up manifold frenzy yes frenzy and Let's also go, frenzy. fabian cortez is also there Cora the burning heart. Yeah, Cora. <laughs> I love Cora. Yeah, I I love this book, and I, that was another one where I was like, oh, I'm not sure about it, and then I got onto it later and absolutely adored it. But this sets all the groundwork for what we love in X Men Red. It's true. I mean, I like a lot of Sword, but I literally despise Abigail Brand, and so. <laughs> That's fair. Often I would be like, oh, this book, because I just would like her to go away. And I feel like especially in a couple of segments, Sword really had the challenge of being bopped around into other books. So it, yeah. It's very King Black focus at the beginning. But at the same time, I think Al does a really good job with that because totally Sword has the ability to sit outside of the island of Krakoa and connect to bigger picture ideas. You know, to even the one issue, I reread it recently because I was just doing a, a segmented like, okay, we're doing planet size X Men. Of course, we're gonna read the fallout of that as Storm does the mic drop moment on Doom's face, <laughs> and just 
there's just so much to, to her character stepping into an actual role. Yeah. I think like, you know, as much as I'm like, oh, I despise Abigail Brand. I think a book that can rile me up yeah, when I'm 100%. reading it, that's a good book. Yeah. Like that's, that's evoking something, right? You're just like, I'm invested because I'm having feelings, like real feelings when I'm reading this book. And I think it does, you, you don't have X-Men read without sword and this is a this is a statement like justin are you okay are you alive i said something good about sword you were paying attention (laughs) Um, (laughs) like you just don't you don't because it builds to where we need to be and it sets the stage for so many things and then it leaves you with this like this twist of like guess what abigail we know what's happening like you're not as sly as you think you are and that was i i was here for all of that and and so we we know between the two of us how we differ in terms of our overall feelings about sword right and then you talk about inferno that just like if if you slept on everything in between hoxpox and inferno and then you read Inferno, and you're like, "Wow, oh, no, that's that's still got some fire. That's still got yep. some greatness to it." Inferno and was incredible. Inferno to have each issue be a double sized issue, and each issue to just drop bombs after. The, yeah, the the love story between Mystique and Destiny, the the Doug, the, the Emma, the Doug of it all is just yeah. that story still. And I should say. Due Diligence Inferno, written by Jonathan Hickman, art by Valeria Shitty, R.B. Silva, and Stefano Caselli. It's like mind blowing. Every single yeah. issue. Like, I remember people like freaking out on Twitter every single week that came out and going, Yeah. Y'all remember how mind blowing Powers of X issue two right. was, or Powers of 10 issue two was? This is just as bad. Yeah. And right. it's Inferno was. I don't think I necessarily wanted a finale for Jonathan Hickman on the X-Men, but if we were going, if he was going to finish up, this is how you go out. Scorched yeah. earth. Yeah, like, it was incredible. The, the Omega Sentinel reveal. The, oh, just, the, that they won. And that's yeah, the whole the, reason. The matchup between Nimrod and Omega Sentinel oh, and Charles yeah. and, and Magneto. Oh, that's why I'm currently rereading Inferno. Oh yeah, <laughs> like set up the like, like literal like I set you up for this. Yeah, you know, and just yeah, and the the power gun. Yes, and and, and that changed know? the entire complexion of what Moira's role was in right. the X line. And just like Emma finding out. <sighs> And being and like pissed. Being so mad and just me being, being like, yeah, girl, you should be mad. Like, and, just, and, just, and the change between this inner council amongst the council yeah. to yeah. actually be a full government with everybody on the, on the same side, knowing the secrets, knowing the weight of this world responsibility. Yeah. Inferno is just like a really sorry sword. <laughs> I'm sorry that you got paired with Inferno but you're not making it out of this round. Yeah. yeah. But I will say that I, I I didn't always enjoy Sword when it was happening, but looking back on it, I can really appreciate what it did to set up, you know, where we need to be for X-Men Red. That manifold issue. Ooh. Yeah, that manifold. Amazing. The, the colors around the universe. Just so good. Yeah. 
yeah, I think again we're we're all in agreement here. It's unfortunate, but Inferno does have to move on to the next round. Uh, which brings us to our penultimate matchup for round one. We're still only in round one. Uh, yeah, the other rounds, I feel like, will go. It might quicker go a little quicker. Yeah, we've introduced all the books. Yeah, we have. Uh, Marauders two Electric Boogaloo. Uh, yeah, this was yeah. written by Steve Orlando, Arpe, Eleonora Carlini. Um, this is the Marauders Act Two. This is Marauders in Space. This is <laughs> Kate and Emma and the Hellfire Trading Company taking their whole thing into the stars. And as well as on the seas a little bit as well. But it's a whole it's a whole new cast of characters. We got Somnus, we got Tempo, we got Aurora, basically like the castaways from the canceled books coming yeah. to Marauders. Um, and then the Cassandra Nova of it all. Oh yeah. man. That was so wild. Just was- the the mere mention of a Cassandra Nova possible involvement, much less, oh, hey, she's a main character on the crew now. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I'll give the Marauders round two this. It was not what I expected, and that wasn't always a bad thing, but they, in the one shot, it built up this idea that we were going to get this team was going to start going out and really saving mutants. And that's what I wanted so badly from the book. I wanted lots of small stories that maybe tied together in something big, but I wanted to see all of these displaced mutants. And I wanted to see this team of like amazing characters come together and do that. And the whole box and the the threshold of it all and the the crazy time travel shenanigans and like yeah the first blood spills and like all of this you know we we talk about it now and, and it's like when you see it as a whole and you go back and you look at it you're like okay that was i i I see it i see it this is a cool concept of like this loop and and all of that but when you're reading it it just felt like it was trying to throw too much information. Like mm-hmm. we we needed to know all these pieces and we needed to get them out. And it also felt like you also had to know a little bit about previous X-Men comics to really know what the yeah. references were. And I didn't, Steve, like I just yeah. didn't. And he was a kid, like he's a killer the master for a of the cut. deep cut. Yeah. And yeah. that's great. But when you're telling a story like this and, and just to, to come off of the momentum of the first mark of marauders it's just it didn't they they felt very different and you know as a fan of kate like can you stop killing her or like putting <laughs> yeah, her in yeah. someone else's body i or shan't like, i shan't stop killing her captain of the team like nope. <laughs> no she's not like i kind of felt like bishop was the captain of the team in yeah. this iteration and it, it it had some interesting points but it really didn't do it for me overall. It was it was kind of a disappointing, like a little knife in the heart to take a book that I was really feeling was my favorite. And I tried so hard every week. I was like, it's going to be okay. I'm going to love it. And then I was like, oh, I don't. Yeah. I, I really liked issue six. You know, that was <laughs> the one. 
that was the one that tied into Judgment Day, one of the yeah. better Judgment Day issues where Birdie comes back and yeah. does a little psychic therapy with everyone. And, yeah, that yeah. one was a good issue. That's that was true. a great character, but no, I I did not enjoy this book. It, I didn't I didn't dislike it as much as some of the other ones. Right. Like it's it's not Fallen Angels, it's not X Corp, you know, but <laughs> what is it really? just right. It just has Really, and and maybe that's you know to his credit is that he didn't know how much runway he had, mm-hmm. and so he really tried to take some big swings and set some things up that he could play with over time, and there just wasn't the time to do it. I remember from the start, a lot of people were reacting to the art mm-hmm. and just how wildly different it was from other things, and right. I didn't think that that was a bad thing. At first, it, it caught me off guard, but it definitely grew on me. And yeah. the, the chaotic scenes of action yeah. was so great. Um, and it was just how many how many top shelf concepts can you put in one book? You know, to have all these sins, to have all this this history with threshold and all the and then Brimstone Love is doing whatever he's doing Brimstone over here. Jeez, Rocky's yeah. on his own mission. Yeah. yeah, I wanted to, but I just. Yeah. But how about Knights of X? Knights of X! Uh, written I by Tini Howard. Art by Bob Quinn. Another sequel series. Um, this one to Excalibur, obviously. I dug this book so much. Yeah. yeah. This is also, I mean, this is the book that established, you know, Betsy and Prestige. Betsy yeah. and Rachel, yeah. finally. Yeah. Well, yeah. And even in the fact that you called her Prestige just made me just like, oh yeah, that was... The fact that they're calling her Ascani now, yes, just so cool, so right. cool, yeah. Uh, and this was a great follow-up to Excalibur. Excalibur that I had mixed feelings in the beginning and was swung after Ten of Swords. This was just all hit for me. I love Knights of X. Knights of X yeah. was great. I got excited every time it was the week that Knights of X came out. <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, my magic book is coming back strong," and Hell yeah. just. I like seeing the different like areas of, of other worlds. I like the battle of it all. Yeah. And, you know, and then we had like a lot of drama. Okay. Because Gambit's life was on the line and that was very scary. Mm-hmm. And so again, a book that really made me feel things and be like, what's going to happen. I'm not okay. You know, <laughs> like the stakes were high and I, I appreciated that a lot. And just Rachel, just yeah. Rachel. Got to give it up for Rachel. You know, we lo- love that Summers family, yeah. right? Rachel's yeah. the only one. <laughs> hey, come on. All right, I'll take it. I'll take it. Which other Summers do I like? Tell me. <laughs> no, they, sure. That's the only one that you like. Vulcan and X-Men Red. We, we all, okay, we're Vulcan, all like yeah. Yes, okay. He could be number two. Yes. Corsair. Corsair's a pretty I great. I do like Space Corsair. Pirates. It's right? the Space. brothers. I don't like the bros. You know what? Fair. You know, it's fair. They're, they're, they're you know. They're an acquired taste, I suppose. You know, it's, once, it's okay. It's once, just because Cyclops, like, I feel like my issue with Cyclops is probably, realistically, I'm admitting this right now on your show, and I never, ever will say it again. So everybody take this in. This is what I'm going to be clipping and putting up on socials. <laughs> I think that I am too much like Cyclops. I think that I like wanted, I am the leader ah. of a lot of groups. Like when my friends call me the general, I think I have like a lot of battles with like what's morally the right choice. And 
I think that Cyclops rubs me the wrong way because when he does things, I'm like, oh, that's parts of myself I don't like. <laughs> that's fair. I think okay? I, I... I've never said that, though. <laughs> you guys didn't hear that. It's not true. I will be taking this clip from the audio. However, <laughs> I will record it. I will send that right over to you. He's the worst. He's nothing like me. You, you can't take it back. It's on record. I, it's interesting because I've, and I've talked about this before on, on my show, like I have almost the opposite problem is because I see a lot of myself in Cyclops and except for, you know, some of his most recent exploits, uh, his, <laughs> his feelings of the brood notwithstanding, I see a lot of myself in, yeah. in that character and I'm like, okay, cool. Like I can achieve those things, but I absolutely, anytime I talk to someone who like yourself does not vibe with, with Scott I'm like, I, I get it. I can't defend that. Like, <laughs> I get it. Yeah. But, no, I get it. but yeah, I will yeah. be sending that clip over to you. You just let me know. Uh, <laughs> but for me, honestly, it's, it is when it comes to Knights of X, I, I'm sad that it was only five issues, but I love that it then leads directly into Betsy yeah. Braddock, Captain Britain. Yeah. And that, that story and is was, continuing. It was really like a really juicy five issues, yes. you know, and like, we we had talked about this when it was out and happening. Like if it had been longer than that, would have lost. Would it? Yeah. Would That's it have been point. as yeah. good? You know, like because you gotta think like that that they knew it was this contained story. Mm -hmm. So like this is what we're gonna tell, and this is how we're gonna tell it, and this is how we're gonna map it out so that we get the goods. But yeah. It still packs a punch. You I know? just feel like these intentional minis to bridge stories, to set up something else, they have this ability to just be straight to the point yeah. and to, to really have the character that they're coming in with because you have that set up from Excalibur. Mm -hmm. Then you can just do the thing. You say, like, okay, here's our outline. We're just going to have fun for five issues and then set up the next however long. I don't know the length of... Betsy Braddock, Captain Britain, but I think it's got a great foundation with Excalibur and Knights of X behind it. Mm -hmm. Totally agree. I think we're we're all in agreement for Knights of X. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The winner is Knights of X. Unfortunately, the uh, the second voyage just doesn't hit the same for Marauders. Correct. It's unfortunate though. Yeah. Which brings us to our final matchup for round one: Children of the Atom versus X Force. I mean, I already know what I'm voting for, but that's I fine. do too. But I, I feel, do. Too. I feel like the 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 formalities should at least be there for to right. to note to note that they were here. Uh, yes. Children of the Atom, book written by uh, Vita Yala, drawn by Bernard Chang. Um, it was a book. It was a book <laughs> about um, you know. It is, it is described as a new team of mouthy, sarcastic Zoomers exploring mutant culture. And, you know, it's, it's a tough line to, to toe between fandom and appropriation. And yeah. it's, mm -hmm. it's a line that that book had to had difficulty with. And I yeah. think it's, it's unfortunate because I think a lot of the ideas were cool on paper. Mm -hmm. um, but Unfortunately, the book didn't quite hit the notes that I necessarily wanted it to. Yeah. yeah and then we got, you know, we got one mutant character yeah. out of it. And yeah. then where did she go? Yeah. 
Right. Storm was like, yeah, come on, come on to this party with me. And then she was like, peace, never see you again. I'm pretty sure she's been announced. I think so. in one of the fall of X. Yeah. Books, oh, she's there. But all right again, then. Oh. Where has she been the whole time? Yeah. Right. 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 Well, it's just the, the fact that there are so many mutants. And when we yeah. do all, when we do what, five or six issues just to introduce one new one that does not have a clear succession plan of where they're going to go, it makes you wonder, what was this? Was this just a launch pad to bring the U-Men back into the X-Men? Everyone's Maybe. favorite, the U-Men. Right. And I think that there's a lot of interesting, uh, a lot of interesting correlation between the Children of the Atom and the U-Men. And there was that, that other company that was using mutant genetics in humans to save their lives. I don't know if that was also connected to the U-Men. This is some friend. Probably. Yeah, I, I just, I wanted to, and it was the, the mystery went on a little too long. Yeah. I, I wanted some payoff and I just felt like I was picking it up because I pick up all the X-Books and I... I liked the format, the different, each character is getting their own spotlight. Yeah. Then they all disappeared except for the one that also disappeared. And yeah. you know, why do we do all that song and dance? Yeah. Um, and it's, it's unfortunate that it's also up against X-Force. Yeah. Because uh, X-Force. X-Force. It's, it's, Hey, let's, uh, let's see what happens when you make Beast Boy Walter White. Yeah. Like I, that book, you know, paired with Wolverine, obviously, both having mm-hmm. the same writing team. Um, I mean, the the steady corruption, you know, absolute power corrupting absolutely for Hank McCoy and his long list of war crimes, which could fill an episode just on its own. Right. Um, it's It's unfortunate that this has to be kind of a no contest for me right and and there's like there's the beast of it all that's been building in the background but then you get like some of the more recent stuff that's been going on like more more domino development the sage Mm -hmm. stuff like her whole struggle with alcoholism and all of that is like what's been happening with like how what the team does affects her where yeah everything that happened with quentin and then i'm sorry but adding in Deadpool and Omega Red, like yeah. their dynamic, yeah. that whole like everything about what happened with Omega Red from like his like their deception and then him like coming back and being on the team. Mm-hmm. And I don't, just there's so many elements of X-Force that make it so great. And yeah. I, I mean, it's er- there's just so much to it. Early on, it was one of my favorite books out of Dawn of X. Uh, especially with the art, the yeah. almost painterly feel, mm. the right. the attack on the island, just and I felt yeah, like Bonkers first issue, right, yeah. right, and to to really just build from there, and to it benefits from having Wolverine at its side to tease some things up or to follow up with some other characters, and I just there are so many things like the Chronicler. The Chronicler and what's going on with Colossus. Oh my God, yes. That, that's huge. And it's so subtle and it's so in the background. But, you know, I think Mikhail has the run for another big bad yeah. with his mutant Russia. Yeah, there's just so much to X-Force. It's like, how can you not 
find something that you connect to or something that you love. You know, you might have an issue here or there where you're like, oh, I didn't care for that issue, but it still comes back to this craziness that's building in the background. And like, now we're just wait, like we're just waiting for something Mm -hmm. to happen with beasts. Like we're just, we're on the edge of our seats. Like, where's it going to go? What's going to happen? Yeah. And it's, it's one of those books where there is so much going on, but it's not overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And it's, yeah. Uh, it's 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 an easy win for X Force, yep. I think. Uh, which closes out round one, brings us to the quarterfinals. <laughs> Things are about to get spicy. Um, our first matchup in the quarterfinals: Jonathan Hickman's X Men versus Sabretooth and the Exiles. So we're gonna give the breakdown for Hickman's X Men. Uh, because it's one of the two books that wasn't in the first round. Um, it was the flagship. It was, as I kind of mentioned before, Summer's Family Adventures, where we had a lot of focus on the Summer's family, on the Summer's house, the moon base, the very interesting thruple situation that we've got going with Scott, Logan, and Gene. Um, it was just a great book that set up a lot of the main players... Um, motivations, but also did a great job at world building. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think you mentioned it before. I mean, issue seven, introducing yeah. the crucible as a concept. Yeah. Is each, incredible. Each issue, I felt like, you know, House of X and Powers of 10 built a garden of seeds to then continue to. And then you thought, okay, let's just play. We'll play. And Jonathan's over here, like, no, I got another garden. Like, I'm going <laughs> to. A whole another garden over here it's on the moon each, right right each single issue we're planting Krakoan flowers on mars now like yeah each issue just added another concept or another villain or another bigger idea or brought back an inner like issue four oh. davos with apocalypse magneto xavier and cyclops and gorgon like that was just Oh, it's just so good. Them going to that, like, that summit. Yeah. And, you know, Charles, for the first time since Cocoon Age started, taking the helmet off and right. being like, hey, look, y'all tried to assassinate me. I get it. You're not going to get a second shot. And you missed. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Well, just like Magneto being like, you told, you taught us yeah, you how mean- to... <sighs> destroy you yeah, so how to, how to win society sit back and relax because we're in charge now <laughs> yeah yeah and also being one of the last i think it might be the last book that Linnell francis you did interiors for yeah mm-hmm. um incredible artwork also got yeah. some great art from Mahmoud azrar uh oh. just wonderful stuff yeah there's even i think there's a phil noto issue in there too yeah that's true swords. When, when, uh, <laughs> I just love when Xavier and Magneto bring the flower to Iska and she's like, oh, for comfort. I don't understand. Like, what, to make the travel easier. Oh, uh, just your soft, your soft little baby mute. <laughs> soft. I love Iska. She's so good. Yeah. Yeah. She's great. It just, and it feels so different. And I keep on saying that, but like, as a flagship, to not be telling, a team yeah. based story. each team each issue is just who does cyclops need to do <laughs> yeah. this this issue's problem to the the reveal in issue six with mystique mm-hmm. and the plot to peel back another layer oh, yes. of 
the Orcus stronghold, the forge mm-hmm. plan that was in Hoxpox. They also they setting was... up the brood thread and also the base that would eventually become yeah. the sword base. Right, right, yeah. yeah. There's just so was much. Was that of the it. issue that where Jamie met Hat? What's his name? Jamie had a sword baby. Was that in Sword? That's uh, uh, in, in it says X Men. Yes. <laughs> so uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, lots of yeah. So it's just like, and and the 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 vault. And oh, I know right. we, we were the just vault. we were just talking about this today because the Children of the Vault was just recently announced yeah. for Fall of X. And Alicia was like, ah, the vault, you love the vault. And I just, I do love the vault I because love that. of that story and, and having to, so I was reading in real time and to read issue five and to send them off into the vault. And then we don't see them again for a year years. of real world time. Right. And then, and then a back to back, like that first issue back in the vault I was like, that just felt like another intro issue. Give me more, give me more. Mm-hmm. And then the second one that just, spelled it all out for you and then set up that really comp- that i i know that in my friend group i am in the minority but setting up that really compelling relationship between sink and laura you're here for mm-hmm. it here yeah. for it yeah yeah um it's good stuff so putting it up up against saber and the exiles it wins it has yeah. to be right it has it's, to be it's, x-men it's x-men yeah. it got the first round by for a reason yeah, it has to be X-Men. So, our second matchup in the quarterfinals, Marauders versus X-Factor. Yikes. Um, yikes. I, this, this I, is... still, I still have to vote Marauders in this one just because of my heart. Yeah. Just because of my heart. Understandable. That's, uh, I, I don't want to be swayed. Don't sway me. <laughs> So you're putting your vote in now before we can talk about it. Yeah. All right. So that's one vote for Marauders. I I'm I feel really conflicted about this because you you both so eloquently put earlier that the Dawn of X was about bringing new readers in and there was a book for literally everybody. Mm-hmm. And these were two of those the flagships of that idea. Yeah. You like murder mysteries, you like detective stories, you got the X Factor. You you want, you know swashbuckling high sea stories about rescuing refugees and dealing yeah. with the socio-political aspect of Krakoa you got marauders and both of them just they look so pretty the art is incredible the stories they tell are amazing the journeys that both sets of characters go on here's what I'll I'll do I said don't sway me but I'm going to sway you ready oh, okay in marauders when kate is killed and we don't know how we're going to get her back. Murder mystery. Boom. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> so you got murder mystery and swashbuckling and you can kill Shaw and you can beat the crap out of him. And you have Emma, Emma, get it, get it, Emma, Emma Frost. And the Hellfire Gala and the Marauder, uh, oh. the uh, Morlocks. And Pyro. The the final what? issue Ice where they're Man. all saying bye to Storm before she leaves to go to. Oh, the- yeah. It's got to be Marauders. It's uh, it, yes, yeah. It's it's Marauders for me as well. Even yeah. though like this this is again one of the they're going to continue to get more difficult as yeah, all. I'm not looking yeah. forward to the rest of it. Right? Yeah. Marauders wins this matchup. Whew. So that brings us next to Excalibur versus Way of X. 
This one I don't think is as hard for me. I really enjoyed Way of X, but Might and Magic will always win the day for me. So I got to go Excalibur. Yeah, I mean, I'm going Excalibur clearly because I didn't even vote for Way of X. (laughs) (laughs) It's a revenge vote. Plus, I am a huge Excalibur fan. Like, I... I loved Excalibur. Yeah, the the problems that I overlooked in round one that led to way of like <laughs> easily defeating X Men Unlimited are not going to continue to carry it forward. I think Excalibur just is a better story, and as as much as the 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 art is beautiful in both, I just feel like Excalibur, especially the back half of Excalibur, yeah, so good, so. <sighs> Excalibur makes its way into the next round, which brings us to Exterminators versus X Lives, X Deaths. I gotta go. <laughs> I can't play this game anymore. You have to. Oh, man. Um, hmm. It's Mm-mm. so hard because, it's like, not. it's not. It's, it's not. Really not. You, so, so, Exterminators? It's Exterminators. Yeah. It's, okay. I mean, like, I love what X Deaths. And and Ten Lives does, and it just it's so big in scope, it's so imaginative. It it's really Ben Percy taking a swing in a hawk's box, but with yeah. Wolverine. Yeah. And it it feels like the season finale of Wolverine and X Force from the first year and a half, two years of content that he's been doing. It, it strings together so much of the world that he's built up there. But but it, then exterminators is its own thing, and it's like nothing and else. And it just has yeah. so much energy and fun and ridiculousness, and yeah. Uh oh, <laughs> you don't know what to do. I yeah, I am yeah. I mm. I mean, if it takes, if it makes you feel any better, your vote doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know what, then I, I will give the, the, uh, the pity vote over to, uh, 10 lives, 10 deaths. Um, no, I, I, I would choose exterminators. It's tough because both books are so good, but exterminators feels, I think you put it really well. 10 lives, 10 deaths feels like a wonderful season finale. Mm. Exterminators feels like the birth of something new. Yeah. Yeah. Like we could have an exterminator series every single year. Yes, yeah. I would love that. Same. Yeah. So, all right, Exterminators moves on. Marvel, did you hear that, Marvel? You can do Every it anytime, year. please. We're here for it. So next up, we have X-Men Red versus Sabretooth. Do we have to talk about it? or <laughs> <laughs> Are you worried that if we talk about it? No. No. <laughs> As much as I enjoy all of the things, all of the great things that we talked about, Sabretooth that edged it just over Sins of Sinister in my mind, there's it just X Men Red is X Men Red. Yeah, it's gonna be really hard, I think, realistically for X Men Red not to win this whole thing. That's all I'm gonna say. Totally fair. Totally fair. I I have to agree. It's it's X Men Red. Love Sabretooth for all Love the reasons we already mentioned. Um, it's still beautiful and it's still powerful, but X-Men Red is royalty. Totally true. So next we have Hellions versus Wolverine. <laughs> this, I, I, uh, hmm. um, Hellions versus Wolverine. I just feel like in these instances, I just have to like 
go right. with what my gut says. That, that's literally what my mind was. Just rip the Band-Aid and say Hellions wins. Oh, I was going to say Wolverine. I know you are. Oh, no. Now it's oh, on you. Oh, no. Um, yeah. Oh, sorry. Good luck. Oh, no. <laughs> wisely. Yikes. Ah, shoot. Um, okay. 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 <laughs> Hellions. Beautiful little short story of a found family that are ultimately tragically ripped apart from each other. Yes. Wolverine. This ongoing series of unfortunate events while Wolverine tries to find purpose in life. Mm -hmm. This is like the Watchmen series versus the Leftovers. <laughs> and it's real. Oh my God. Um, All right. Let me ask you a question in okay. scope of impact on Krakoa as a whole. Oh, and like, no. you know, what, what, book feels more like a key to Krakoa to you. Um, and let's highlight the creation <laughs> of the first Chimera in Hellions. <laughs> the setup of Sinister's clone farm off-site, off-book. Okay, let's also highlight the um, <laughs> auctions of mutant parts and the killing of, like, the, the seeds of beasts' sneaky business and, uh, you know, that time that he created a Wolverine that he could just tote around doing his business. What have we done? So. Mm. Okay, so here's the thing. Two matchups ago. I probably would have chosen Wolverine based on. The idea that looking at exterminators versus 10 lives, 10 deaths, I was like, 10 lives and 10 deaths has to be the one because of the reasons you mentioned with it pushing the narrative forward for Krakoa. But now that exterminators has won, yeah. I have to give it to Hellions. I have right. I have Whoa. to vote Hellions. It's yeah. it's so hard because they're yeah. they're two very different stories. They're so um, different. They're and they're That's both okay. beautiful in their own way, but I am, I am such a mark for found family stories, mm -hmm. and I think the fact that if if you don't like include their bits and pieces in Sabretooth, Sabretooth and the Exiles, Hellions being this perfect little bottle that has never been followed up on, mm, with how tragic yeah. the story is, makes it so much grander for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, you're right. It just it just does so much for the cast. Yeah. Just, and for them processing who they are and, and even just also running a, a, a lap around some really classic villains. And right. Just, just tending to the X line in, in a very interesting way. I'm not mad about it, but I... Tarn. Yeah, Tarn. I love Tarn. Tarn. Yeah. Tarn. I love Tar. I'm not mad. I'm not changing my vote though, so it's okay. Hellion still wins. Not mad, just disappointed. I'm just disappointed. That's wrong for mad. <laughs> so Hellions will move on, um, which brings us to Inferno versus Knights of X. Ooh, well, it's. I'm so sorry because I love Knights of X. As I, do love I. It, I love it. I yeah, love yeah. it. But Inferno has to win. It's it Inferno. To... It is Inferno. Inferno. 
Uh, so that brings us to the final matchup of this round. X-Force versus Immortal X-Men. And that Ooh. listener was the three of us at a loss for words. Well, you know what? You have to do the Immortal X-Men spiel because... <laughs> oh, yes, 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 of course. So that'll help. Uh, Immortal X-Men was the is basically the Quiet Council book. This is the book that most of the direction for Destiny of X going forward is coming out of. Written by Kieran Gillen, drawn by Lucas Wernick. We were already heaping praise on Lucas Wernick, and <laughs> yeah. deservedly so. Um, featuring a cast of the Quiet Council, as well as uh, Forever Slaying Selene. Um, mm-hmm. This book has so many plates spinning. Um, I will never forget the, I don't exactly remember which issue it was, but the reveal at the end of one of these issues where it's like, oh, we need a new quiet council member. Well, we can always trust Colossus and him stepping down in all of the context and just shouting, no, don't do it. Uh, Uh, That is not in Immortal X-Men. Oh, it's not. No, just, as she had, she called me out that Justin would know. That's in Inferno issue two. You're right. You're absolutely right. But, <laughs> but it is just just the dynamic that builds from yes. all of the secrecy that everyone like everyone's stabbing each other's back. Yeah, yeah. The thing You're about right. no, the thing no. about moral. Oh, sorry. No, no, no go ahead. Go. I was okay. just gonna say the. <laughs> no, you go. You go. I, I was just gonna say the I got it confused. The the new Quiet Council member we get is Hope, but we'll we, we can talk about yeah. that in a sec. But go ahead. The thing about Immortal X Men is that I love the way that it's written. I love the way that every issue is like from a perspective or a little bit more information. I'm a different council member. Yeah. And so like we're getting this the whole of the council, but we're also learning so much about each of them and the way that the council really works and kind of all of their secret motives or their concerns or their perspectives. And that's really important because the council is just this entity that has so much control over what's happening in Krakoa. And it's like this perceived idea, which even though we all know it's not true, you know, that they work together, but we know, but we get to see like their insight and like, I know there were like questions of like if the Emma issue was really an Emma issue, but seeing mm. this like her sleeping in diamond form because <sighs> she can't trust anyone or yeah. like getting, um, you know, the glimpse of the OG sinister of it all and, and the relationship and the questions between destiny and, and sinister and mystique and even learning a little bit more about Exodus, even though that was probably my least favorite issue. The nightcrawler I, issue. The yeah, nightcrawler issue. Nightcrawler issue. Yeah. Just uh, so so many good things the, about Immortal X Men that the live resurrection as like like immediately being backed up. Yes. Yeah. Such a it's cool like, idea. Yeah. It's like X Force is really great, and the thing for me that is pulling at me about which one to choose in this in this uh, standoff here is that the beast part of X-Force and how integral I feel like that is going to be to what happens next So compelling, and how that's been building in the background the whole time. Like that's so epic. 
but then there's a mortal X-Men and you're like, oh the, God, the what do Moira I do? The Moira machine at the end of issue Moira one. Right, machine. Right. That was just, the reveal, that, that, yeah. that changed everything. And again, yeah. another another thing that's been playing in the background alongside Beast is the uh, the accruing of power by Sinister. Right. right. And, and just all the different toys that he's creating out of this. As much as I loved Sins of Sinister, I love it because it's seeded in a throughout Immortal X-Men. Yeah. The issue of him resetting again and again because yeah. he keeps failing. Oh yes. It was it was so good. I just like him like get, him getting so mad at himself in every iteration. He's <laughs> like, oh, I just have to go kill this lady again. Yeah, it's yeah. it's a classic video game. It's classic, you know, video game trying to like, okay, I need to leap over this gap. Okay, I need to leap over this gap and also watch out for the falling pit. Okay, yeah, I need yeah. to leap over this gap, watch out for the falling pit and not get stabbed. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. It. I think it's, uh, it's, it's going to have to be Immortal X Men. I think I am also going to vote Immortal X Men. It is not tough. It is Immortal X Men. <laughs> <laughs> as much as I enjoy X Force, it is just a it is not tough. big well, old story, yeah. a big old world story that accomplished a ton in only ten issues. So that brings us to the next round. Um, which I guess is actually the quarterfinals. I know how tournaments work. Uh, we are getting into the nitty gritty here. Um, our I'm first scared. matchup here is Jonathan Hickman's X-Men versus Jerry Duggan's Marauders. I know I'm going to lose this one, <laughs> but I'm going to hold on to Marauders for as long as I can. So I understand. It's okay. I don't, I'm always on the losing team. It's fine. I don't know if I disagree. Oh, yay. Okay. Ha ha. <laughs> this one's really tough because they're both very different books. Yeah. yeah they're so different. And both I of just... them kind of have that, like they had their life and they ended. And, and it is it is true that X-Men did so much world building and so much has come out of what that created and But honestly, know. so did Marauders. It was just from a singular perspective. Yeah, that's true. Because we got to see the wider world. But then when I think about the number of issues that I can specifically tell you what happened or what was so exciting, like the issue. I think it's issue 11 when Magneto fights against the Kotati and God, yeah, like the, to actually see Magneto at full power oh. and, and just even, even the 10 of swords tie-ins, the, the, those were really great. And the vault story, go and get the Nimrod son. story in 20. And like, there's just, there's just so many key issues in that run that, I feel like added so much for me and it does not have anywhere near as much heart as Marauders does. Marauders has. I'm a sucker for the heart. And it, you know, it, I don't think it's Claremont level, but it feels Claremontian where that we're, we're like playing that. with these characters. We're playing with what we know and love about them and how they relate to each other. We're building off of that connection. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, for, if I'm going to say, points against marauders never no. used never used storm one of my favorite mutants biggest heavy hitter hanging out in the background hardly ever used in the run we did yeah, get that yeah. great issue of marauders tying into ten of swords with her getting the blade from 
not oh, written yeah. by Jerry, which is odd, God, right? right? And I agree. Oh. That's one of my favorite, if not my favorite. Right. That was written by Vita. Dang it. Mm. Still counts. <laughs> Guess it was in the run. It was in the run. It was a numbered issue. Celebrity shot. Celebrity shot. Yeah. Still counts. <sighs> It's that, it's but tough. that one in particular that that one stands out as the storm story from that run, which you know, I, and that one and, and you know to say something good about Marauders, it's the the three ladies teaming up against Shaw with Lockheed running back up, like just just <laughs> watching Glob Herman, you're like what what's going on? <laughs> okay, don't worry um, about it. Like, the the satisfying beatdown of Shaw in that issue, yeah. It's yeah. there, there are very few experiences like that, especially if you had been going from the beginning with Kate's murder to her coming back. And yeah, oh, I mean, from a character driven story point, Marauders, Marauders. from a world building point, and a narrative I guess point, and, and even so, I would argue. The Cyclops story that goes throughout X Men. God, you're finding his oh, place. Oh no! World and and even him rubbing up against the the authority of the Council. Him announcing <sighs> that they're going to restart we're the X Men. That came out of X Men. What like sixteen? I don't know, Justin. Yeah, only 16 you know. Yeah, yeah. I got I got to vote for X Men. I'm sorry. <sighs> I he got me with the <sighs> summers of it all. I know, I know. It's it was fine. a trump card he had prepared. <laughs> he knew what he was doing. It, it is a Cyclops story. It's literally Cyclops' book. It, it is the, Cyclops' the, book, and I can't The first couple of guy. pages are Cyclops meeting with Xavier and getting fitted for his ruby quartz for the first time, and then knowing how that that can be viewed differently because Xavier has all this... It just... Yeah. It was so good. I remember the the other episode that we had done kind of a, a, a ranking of Krakoa and I was the only one that was singing the praises of X-Men. And then afterwards <laughs> and I was like, and there was this issue and then there was this issue. And you were like, I, I didn't remember that all of those were X-Men because they're all <laughs> their own separate stories. Yeah. 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 That's, this is probably the toughest one for me so far. That's it's so hard, <sighs> but Marauders Marauders made it through two full rounds. Yeah, I did. Let's go, Marauders. Hell of a run for Marauders. Good for you. Next up, we have Excalibur versus Exterminators. Exterminators. This is interesting because it's it's two of Alicia's babies, basically. Just, but it's like there's there's Excalibur is great, and I really loved Excalibur for like the meaty story and the adventure of it all, and. But there is, there are very few comics that bring me joy the way that Exterminators brought me joy. And like, I just like, I really appreciated the the storytelling and the the characters and like, I just, it's, for me, it's the fact that it's just so different than everything else. And it's, it came... I don't know. I think it also just, again, it's a heart thing for me, right? Like it came at a time when the book that I was loving as my like gal pal book was just not my gal pal book anymore. And then Exterminators came around. But then if you think about like 
Excalibur in the grand scope of of everything. I think what I'm going to say is Excalibur gave me Knights of X. And I think Knights of X is the juiciest, best stories of the Excalibur storyline mm-hmm. or the ones that stick out the most to me. And so when you're looking at that as Knights of X as its own entity, then I would still vote Exterminators. <laughs> but I don't know. That's as compelling That's a case crazy. as you can make. Uh, it's exterminators for me. <laughs> I also uh, have to go exterminators. Yeah. I love this. I'm so happy yeah. for exterminators right now. It it really is making it a lot further than. <laughs> well, actually, no, because I just this even as I was surprising. trying to run through this in my mind, I was like, yeah, it's it's one of the books that should be in this spot right here for sure. So next up, we have X Men Red versus Hellions. This Hear me the- out. Okay, I'm listening. <laughs> Hear me out. X Men Red is incredible. Hellions is phenomenal, and Ooh. both books have Tarn. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> so the Tarn card cannot be pulled here. But X Men Red has the death of Tarn. And the epicness of the, (laughs) just the, just. The Magneto moment. Yeah. Uh, Because as much as, as much as we praise Tarn, Magneto is the king. But Hellions also has the systematic unraveling of Alex Summers and watching him pick up the pieces from that. That's true. That's true. And, And the whole thing with. Psylocke's daughter. Yes. Yeah. And what Sinister did. Yes. Okay. And and Emma, little messing around in there. Mm-hmm. But X Men Red has Storm, and the Fisher King, and um, and Abigail Brands. I I see I see your Storm, and I raise you Quanon in Hellions. Yeah. Oh, but X Men Red has Vulcan. <laughs> you can't do I'm, this to me. <laughs> Which yeah, yeah. Summer's brother do you like better? It's no. Vulcan. <laughs> I do like Vulcan better. No. <laughs> I have, yeah, I have, I've, I already know I'm on the losing end of this. Um, I mean, I think Hellions is Hellions, great. Hellions, Hellions is, is yeah. so good. And but I, it's just, just X Men Red. If, uh, as we're at a point right now where there is no current X Men Red releasing, if you gave me the option that I could only get another arc of either of the two, it would be X-Men Red because Hellions Hellions finished perfectly in my mind. Mm. You're right. It, it's exactly what I said last round. It's that it, it's this beautiful bottle of a story that you just, yeah. you're right. You're right. It's, I mean, X-Men Red's going, but I'm not happy about it. <laughs> I'm sorry. Hellions put up a good fight. It's okay. A, it, really did. it did. Zeb Wells would be proud. Thank you. Thank you. Praise be to Zeb Wells. Yeah. Feel free to come on the podcast. Um, I I am very curious about this next matchup. Final matchup for the semifinals. Inferno versus Immortal X-Men. Oh, God. Inferno almost leads directly into Immortal X-Men because it's that power shift of this inner trio 
from Inferno blowing up and then being usurped by the full scope of the Quiet Council that gives way for the story of Immortal X-Men to be told. Yeah, they're so connected. But Inferno is just... It's such a, like, a marker Mm -hmm. in in the through line of everything like yeah it changes so much and it i just remember reading it and just being blown away by mystique yeah there's there's just colossus like there's so much in inferno that Destiny. gives us like mm-hmm. i don't know i guess if you if you're looking at the two right you can have Inferno without Immortal X-Men, but you can't have Immortal X-Men without Inferno, I feel. That's a fair point. Yeah. I will say, I think the idea that, and Justin, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but the fact that Inferno started as a different story with a different ending that Hickman had planned, and when things shifted around, Inferno became kind of what it was also weighs on my mind because immortal x-men feels like this incredible you know hbo max or max or whatever it becomes now like drama of these people who are incredibly flawed having to work together and oftentimes it becoming the worst case scenario the mystique issue of immortal x-men that or sorry the destiny sorry the destiny issue of immortal x-men that chronicles this whole thing that she foresaw and which gives you insight on everything that mystique and destiny have done is almost as mind-blowing as that omega sentinel reveal in inferno um (laughs) you definitely feel the lack of magneto in that immortal x-men book yeah Um, Yeah, that's true but it's also it does a great job in using that to put more pressure on xavier because he doesn't have his buddy with him anymore and so he's being forced to make decisions that maybe he wouldn't have made in the past um and we touched on it before hope summers being brought in for this Mm. as the voice of the the new age one of the five finally making it onto the quiet council and having a seat at the table in discussions that involve them because realistically they make all of this work without the five. This yeah, is no, not it's so true. It's like the five really could just do everything without the council. They could right, just be right. like, go away. They are the, the people's voice. They are the, yeah. the religion essentially of the Island. Oh, this one is really difficult. <sighs> yeah. There's so much. It's also difficult because you know that Immortal X-Men isn't over. Right. So you can't like. Do we look at a story in a vacuum versus an overarching narrative? Yeah. Right. Right. Is it just, are we taking the the four double-sized issues and comparing them against the 10? The 10 that came out before Sins of Sinister? Right. If we're looking at it that way, I still feel like, like, all right. Every issue 
if we're looking at the the four double size versus the ten, every issue of the four double size I loved. Yes, we we got to start getting out page counts here. We got to start weighing this. Then, if we're looking at the ten, there were some that I didn't love. So yeah. The it's ex- like the Exodus, the Exodus one. I, I didn't love that Exodus issue, though. I know I'm. I know I'm the minority in that. <laughs> uh, okay, but like when I look at those things together, I think it's a. I I think it's Inferno. Is you doing a page count right now? Fifty-one, forty-seven, <laughs> forty-six. These are all double-sized issues. The fifty-one pages on that first one. And I think Immortal X-Men issue one was, if not double-sized, larger. Mm-hmm. Each one, 51 pages on the first and the fourth. It's like, but then there's like the Moira reveal versus the Moira machine. Mm-hmm. Like which one is more? Yeah. There were so many. There were so many reveals. Like I could count at least two per issue of inferno so do you feel like you you is this a no contest for you you're like hands down it's not a no it's not a no contest but it is inferno okay there's a lot of contests and especially just how like kieran is like the the stepdad that came in and, (laughs) and taught you yeah no you could still have a positive role male figure in your life and and like we're here, bud. We're going to play catch. And yeah. I, I got great X-Men stories to tell you. And he, he picked this up. But, yeah. you know, like Hickman. Hickman. He's the guy who Hickman. said, yeah, I know you know how to ride a bike. Have you ever played catch before? Right. 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 Like, yeah, I feel like it. I feel like in my soul, it's Inferno. But it's hard because Immortal X-Men is so good. Yeah. All right. So deliberations over. Alicia, you're voting for Inferno. Justin? Inferno. I am going to vote Immortal X-Men, but I okay. know that it is a losing battle. Inferno moves on to the real semifinals where things are about to get very, very difficult. So we have two matchups in the semifinal round. The first one features Jonathan Hickman's X-Men versus Exterminators. We have had a lot of things to say about both of these books. Uh, and it's very difficult. Because is it just bad that I just want Exterminators to make it to the <laughs> Just to go all the way to the finals. Come on, make it to the finals, Exterminators. You can do it. X-Men, no, con- no question. <laughs> no question for you. No contest uh, at all. I don't know. It's it is obviously a contest, but it's just the um yes, Exterminators has so much heart, so much fun, so much humor, so much character development. X Men just has everything else, and even has some heart and some fun. Not really much fun or humor. I, I wouldn't fun. call Hickman's X Men fun. No, where is it fun? Uh, I could pull up a. Is it that one thing when like Scott's in the jungle with his kids? Is that fun? Or it's it's that the is fun. you're right you're right <laughs> that is fun it's like the family bonding. That's, you're right. That's you're issue right. three. That is yeah. Where they go? Uh, yeah, cable and Rachel. yeah. Um, horticulture. 
They were fun. Horticulture. Oh, horticulture was right. fun. Oh, look at you, Justin. Uh, you know, it's just I I love exterminators, but in terms of bringing me joy while reading versus setting up like big expansive world building and a lot of potential to come from it, I I have to go with you know is it I don't know I'm 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 torn is it like what I enjoy the most or what is the more narratively satisfying. That's fair. Are those the same thing? That's a fair question. Yeah. I can't answer that in a fair way because <laughs> I definitely flip-flopped my reasoning throughout this entire sure, bracket. Sure. Like sometimes I'm like, no, you have to vote for the one that was best for Krakoa. Yeah. And then the other time I'm like, no, you have to vote for the one that was most fun. But but see, that has never really been what has guided my decision. It was always just what was the better book or what was the one that I enjoyed more. I mean, I, you have read those issues of X-Men a bajillion times. Yeah. So I would say for you, your answer is definitely X-Men. I, I would, I, I'd like to posit a question to the two of you. Yes. When you look at these two books, both incompletion and as a wider narrative, do you feel like either of those books would work outside of the Krakoan era? Yeah, I feel like Exterminators would be, could be a book that lives on its own. Yes. And X-Men likely could not because each of its issues are dealing with the questions of Krakoan society and how that's changing things. But that, see, I don't know what your motivation with that question was. <laughs> I'm just curious. But I feel like that answer makes me feel like I should vote for X-Men because this is the best of Krakoa. Yeah. It, exterminators could happen at any point. I feel like that... But does that also give it more life because it's not specifically tied to the world building of Krakoa? You could this could be a book that could be successful and enjoyed at any stage of X-Men history. And the other thing to think about is like the fa- the general fan reaction to Exterminators was amazing. Huge. Like yeah. people went bonkers for that book, which is good. Absolutely. And did people go bonkers for X-Men or had no, they been specific issues already... I think they did. Yeah. Like right. issue 7 is I think still hailed as like maybe the best single issue in the entire Krakoan era. Yeah. But Well, how are you voting? What are you voting <laughs> this time? I'm ju- I'm just listening to you. You're both presenting yeah. very very good arguments. I I, I look at it kind of this way. Um, X-Men has been tearing through team books of heart so far. Um, and I'm hesitant to let it continue its swath of destruction through books that I love. However, yeah. Exterminators in the grand scope of Krakoa, if you look at it, doesn't have a huge impact on the Krakoan age. Yeah, you're right. Which is tough. Um, 
because I love those love that story. I love those characters and them being in that specific Cohen mindset of we are able to combat the collector and we are able to combat, you know, the vampires and the seemingly infinite amount of vampires in the Marvel universe, because Mm -hmm. we have the backing of Kakoa and the confidence to deal with that kind of threat, even if it's Mm -hmm. just solo and on our own. And also the idea that in the Krakoan era, these kind of stories can be told. Yeah. With reckless abandon. I love both of these books. All right, this is going to be my last thing, all right? Okay. Let's just say (laughs) the characters in the books are fighting for this spot in the finals, okay? Who are you voting for? Are you voting for the Summers family? Yeah. Or are you voting for Boom Boom and Jubilee and Dazzler? And Wolverine. Hold up, hold up, hold up. Because it's not just the Summers family. It's also Laura Kinney Wolverine from the vault. So Talon. Sink. It's Mystique. It's Emma and a couple of points. Justin, this wasn't your question, Dad. (laughs) It was, it's Apocalypse. Apocalypse's arc through, even with the Summoner and with Genesis and the fight between Iska. All right, Justin votes for X Men. I, yeah, I, Justin votes for X Men. I have to vote for X Men. Okay, if, good. If, so I can vote for Exterminators, and it doesn't matter, <laughs> but I can still vote for them. It Yay. breaks my heart, but yeah. I know it's the right choice, so that's why I made you guys do it. Hey, <laughs> you're talking to Mr. Hellions over here. I. Yes. <laughs> so now we find ourselves at. X-Men Red versus Inferno. I don't like it. Well, I not. I don't like it either. I don't like it. Um this is yeah, this is a lot. Both books are incredible. Um I am going to put myself out there and put my self off the table immediately i'm voting with my heart not my head i'm voting x-men red yeah i just want to vote x-men red too but inferno inferno is incredible it's It's got so much to it it's got so much to it. it it's literally hickman taking his bible of the story and then showing you where all the little details are that you never even knew that were there. But X-Men Red is like the expansion yeah. of Arako. the amazing. Like it's X-Men Red is the potential of the future. X-Men Red is even if Krakoa falls, we there's still that. hope for something out there. It's this like marker of, of what could be and this, strength and like from a perspective of like yeah inferno was a really great story but i don't know i know i keep saying it but like you know the this regal like 
strength and honor and just epicness that exudes from X-Men Red. It's just such a great book. And it it's, it continues, you know, and it continues to amaze me and it continues to have new things and it keeps pushing forward with what else it can do to blow your mind. And I'm, I'm sure if Inferno had more issues, it could do that, but it doesn't. So I'm going to vote for X-Men Red. I'm going to vote for X-Men Red. So in that case, your vote doesn't matter. But what do you vote for? <laughs> I vote for Inferno. He's sticking with Inferno. Through because through. I want to hear this reasoning. The number of times I have picked up Inferno again and read it again far exceeds the number of times I've picked up X-Men Red and read it again. And I have read both multiple times yeah. past when they were released. But as a complete game changer of a story that affects the whole line and has just so many reveals and mind-blowing details and character twists is just Inferno. Like I, I just, and I love X-Men Red is my favorite Dawn of X title. Hands down. And I don't know, like in my mind, Inferno would probably beat Hickman's X-Men. So you but, want but, Inferno to win it but all. But so would X-Men Red. I, I, you know, I just... Yeah, you just don't want those two to be paired against each other. You don't want an all-Hicksman championship match. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's Inferno, though. Well, I'm sorry, but you lose. So That's two fine. to one, X-Men Red heads to the championship match. This is the finals. Hickman's X-Men versus X-Men Red. This is the foundation of the dream versus the realization of the dream. Yeah. I think it's X-Men Red. Yeah, this one. I think it is. I disagree. <gasps> I think it might be Hickman's X-Men and not, I, I feel like I have been, wow. I've been indoctrinated. I've been bamboozled into, <laughs> I, think, I think the Exterminators matchup broke me. Right. I I think everything that we look at when it comes to the Krakoan age, everything that was established by Hickman is presented in that book. And the ramifications of that book are still being felt long after he's left the X office. Yeah. The children of the vault showing up in fall of X, all mm -hmm. of the bits and pieces we know that, and we'll be talking about it. Obviously we know that Genesis is coming back. Mm -hmm. All of the things that we that I think of when I think of Krakoa and everything that that's established was established in this book. And it is mighty difficult to take that away from it, even though X-Men Red is this beautiful evolution of the concept. Yeah. So I don't know which way, but I'm leaning ever so slightly to Hicksman. When I think about the new issue excitement of X-Men 
by Hickman versus X-Men Red by Ewing. I am more excited about new issues of X-Men Red. Than you were about new X-Men. Than I were about new issues of X-Men. And that might have been because I had no idea what to expect with each issue, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which has, you know, I, I've been going back and forth. That has played in its favor in other matchups. And I think it's just because it had not gone up against a title that in my mind, well, no, that's not true because Marauders and Exterminators, you know, they both deliver on a really core, heart filled, narrative building character story and uh. i think part of the problem or not problem but part of the thing that sways me to x-men red is that hickman's x-men was rushed for me almost like in what way it was it was like not his writing me reading like i was like absorbing so much material Mm. that it was all just like file it away file it away file it away and i i wasn't experiencing it in the same way that i experienced x-men red but i think what i like about x-men red is what similar to like what i was just saying in in you know opposition to inferno is that there's so much potential in X-Men Red. There's so much that is still built. Like you can say that Hickman's X-Men built the foundation for Krakoa, but X-Men Red builds the foundation for what happens after Krakoa and takes like takes into account the questions of what does it really mean to resurrect? And if we're bringing all these mutants together, but we still think of Araco as separate, like what does that really mean? And seeing the the through line for Storm and for so long wanting her to have something really tangible and powerful and then her getting that and knowing that Magneto died in X-Men Red and that, that is a huge thing that happened in Krakoa that has ramifications throughout all of what can happen going forward. And just like the, like all of the building, but so much of what fuels Orcus and what fuels anti Krakoan sentiment is that they terraformed Mars and that they took this thing that some of Orcus believes didn't belong to them that belonged to the humans. And like the expansion onto Mars is is such a huge jump into what is gonna think I think leading into the the war between Krakoa and Orcus. It's like terraforming Mars was a moment where the humans were like, oh snap, we the it's not just them on their little island, they're expanding. And the threat of X-Men Red and what that standing does to the rest of the world is so impactful on what the age of Krakoa is. I just feel like there's so much to that story for where it went from that initial setup in, in X-Men. Yeah. Everyone is like, 
we all started this episode like so happy. Yeah, this is jazz. Yeah, we're gonna have so much fun, yeah, and now we're, we're like we're questioning our, our fantasy existentialism. We're like, who are we? <laughs> what Where does do it we mean to be a mutant? Yeah. All right. Uh, so, do we have any other arguments? Uh, I don't know that I have another argument, but I just, I think, I, I think I know who I'm voting for, but okay. I think, yeah. Final votes. Alicia. X-Men Red. Justin. X-Men Red. And I oh, yeah. also vote X-Men Red. Oh my Whoa! God. This is amazing. You you changed my mind with that because the the thing that came to mind after like what you were saying was that it's always felt like Hickman anytime Hickman goes on a book it's like that Hickman's vision for those characters and it's like when Hickman leaves the book that vision leaves too mm. and i think and and I think you know it's 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 unfortunate that and it's something that I had to kind of work my way out of, um, calling this current era the, the Hickman era of X Men, yeah. mm-hmm. it's the Krakoa era of X Men, and it feels like especially revisiting Hickman's X Men and looking at it as this kind of monolith. I mean, it ate through two of my favorite books in this entire yeah. era. Um, in it becoming kind of this definition, the stamp of what Hickman's vision was for that book. And then you get X-Men read as this idea that, Hey, like the X-Men can survive without Hickman. Mm. You, you, you changed my mind. You, you convinced me. Yeah. X-Men Red is your winner. X-Men Red, Yay. after all rounds and all matches completed, X-Men Red is the best of X. And I feel good about that. I, I do, too. Feel good about that. I don't you think... Know? It's funny, because y'all called the shot for X-Men Red in the first round. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know. There's a lot that it's going up against. But it feels correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It just does. It feels correct in just excitement about it. You know, it's the book I look forward to. Yeah. Yeah. Same. So that is the, man, wow. That is the full uh, Best of X tournament. Uh, Incredible. It was great. It was so much fun. really, Really made me think. Yeah, same. And yeah. it's making me want to reread a bunch of these books as well. Yeah. Yep. Like I'm, I'm, I might reread Sabretooth tonight. Like yeah. <laughs> after the conversation we had, it's like, man. Um. So with that said, with the best of X established, let's. We are long in the tooth here, but let's run quickly through the fall of X because we do have some titles. Um. But I do not want to keep you longer than I've already kept you. So real quick, uh, let's do just a quick new, I, I think at this point, as I'm recording, as we're recording, they've announced all of the Fall of X books. Is that right? Yes. Okay. 
I believe so, yeah. So I believe I have the list here. And if I don't, I know I can count on both of you to correct me. Justin's holding it in his hand. <laughs> so first first up, we've got Astonishing Iceman, which I think is incredible. It's written by Steve Orlando, art by Vincenzo Caratu. Um, Iceman, we now know, is probably leaving the X-Men to strike it out on his own. I'm excited about it. I I think with especially, okay, so that's another Infinity comic. They did a whole Iceman Infinity comic where he was like kind of going through discovering himself and really coming into his Omega-ness. It was not a part of X-Men Unlimited, though. That was a part of Marvel Voices. Oh, right. Okay, cool. Good to know. So that is a good read. But I think with that, building up to this idea that he really is coming into the full, well, he's, he has limitless potential because he's not <laughs> mega immune, but, uh, you know, coming into that and, and stepping out to kind of see what, what that means for him, I think is really cool. Um, I, I think giving him like a new life to a character that's been around for so long, right. Since the yeah. beginning. Well, so baby. I think that's dope and I'm excited for it. Yeah, I'm uh, optimistic. Same. I I like Iceman as a character. I have mixed mileage on solo books, especially on characters that historically have not carried solo books well. And so maybe that's just some past baggage that I'm carrying, but also mixed in with how much I did not enjoy Steve Orlando's Marauders. Competing with how much I enjoy... Steve Orlando's Scarlet, Scarlet Witch. Witch. Yes. So, yeah. Incredible. Right? So it, it's uh, so good. That's why optimism is where I land because <laughs> I don't have enough leading me yes or no. Fair. Uh, next up, and we're going strictly through, uh, through alphabetical order here. Uh, Alpha Flight. This is the book that I'm most curious about. Uh, written by Ed Brisson, art by Scott Godlewski, five-issue miniseries, uh, we're getting the old gang back together, Guardian, Snowbridge, Shaman, and Puck. Um, but we're also got a little uh, Alpha Flight Blue team with uh, Nemesis, Northstar, Aurora, and Akihiro getting a brand new code name. He's now Fang and oh, Knock yeah. the more, which I love. I think uh, I, we we kind of had like a chit chat about the titles and the second round of titles that came out. And I was like, I'm excited about alpha flight. Like, I think it's going to be interesting. I haven't really ever read anything alpha flight no. or, you know, they've been mentioned in the background a bunch of times in books that I've read. So yeah. I always like to kind of check out something new and sure. see and where that goes. The thing that strikes me is the solicitation text, or maybe not the solicitation text, but some of the article texts that Marvel had, promote with the cover reveal and just how this speaks for Canada in face of the mutant problem oh, and, and what this means for like a split in ideology yeah. and just how how these mutants are separated from Krakoa it just none of the solicitation text or or article text is positive <laughs> for men it's all like after the ashes of the X-Men team. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, the treehouse is still burning in the background. Oof. Oh, come on. 
Uh, and speaking of uh, burning the uh, X-Men's home, Children of the Vault uh, is coming out. Uh, Four-issue miniseries by Denise Comp and Luca Maresca. Uh, this is following up on the Vault stuff, and I am terrified. Uh, yeah. It's a scary, scary idea. They've been showing up a little bit during Duggan's time on X-Men, and uh, mm-hmm. they're scarier, I think, I feel like, every time we see them. Yeah. Yeah. And, and who even knows what their game is or how much yeah. they know? There's a lot of insinuation that Serafina was actually planting something, either through Talon or through Darwin, oh. or the fact that she just very easily gave up what would have been a, a very uh, sought after resource for their discoveries for their advancements um yeah something something isn't right yeah and, and just knowing the threat that the children of the vault pose and knowing that in this arc they're going after cable and bishop so cool. and what they represent uh future knowledge and, yeah. and uh, i just it's all real scary. All real scary times, and it's probably going to involve time involve time travel shenanigans. So I know. Yes, of course it is. With those two, <laughs> you know, there's going to be time travel shenanigans in there, and I'll see how I feel about it. Probably won't like it. <laughs> At least we're consistent. Yeah. Uh, next, we've got Dark X Men. Uh, oh my God! Yes, please this... give it to me right now. Oh man, Steve Fox and Jonas Scarf. Um, Scarf. I don't know. Uh, Goblin Queen, Havoc, Gambit, Azazel, uh, Zero, yeah. Archangel, my sweet baby boy, Albert, uh, Gimmick, and M-Plate. Look at this team. What That's is this? In- it's insane. And after Dark Web, I am so ready for it. Like, yeah. I just, it's- I'm just excited. Like, the Inferno, I'm not the Inferno, the... um limbo embassy and just like how that factors in and just just to see maddie at the head of a team like i it's real cool i'm excited of the six new books that's probably the most exciting one and that's that's up against some other contenders that i was surprised as to how excited i was when that was announced because steve fox killed it on that X-Men annual issue mm-hmm. and even X-Men 92 and that X-Men Unlimited arc. Yeah. I just feel like he has a really solid understanding of team dynamics so and good. and what makes the X-Men the X-Men. And to take that and twist it with a dark sense. It's going to be amazing. And this lineup is just bonkers. I know. So Azazel, what? What are you doing here? M-Plate? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, Monet was part of the team. So got to have the end plate. Right. Uh, We also have the book that I think I'm most excited about right now, which is Realm of X. Really stoked Mm. on this. Uh, Written by Tarun Gronbeck with art by Diogenes Neves. Uh, Magic and Danny Moonstar. Yeah. Like, how can you go wrong? You cannot. Like. You cannot. It's so. And we're also bringing in Dust, Marrow, Curse, and Typhoid Mary. That's great. Right. I'm stoked. Her, like curse yeah that is very interesting to me because so in the x-men unlimited uh, x-men green whole shebang like curse is dead and it's like questionable if they're going to resurrect so mm. 
clearly they become resurrected. Yeah. But I, I don't know. When I first heard the title, I was thinking it was going to be some other like iteration of uh, other worlds, world, Betsy Excalibur situation. And then when we the cover came out and I saw Magic and Danny on the cover, I was like, give me the book now. <laughs> give it to me right now. Yeah, I'm sorry. I've been wanting so much more Danny in my life. So, Same. and yeah. also give, give Magic more books. Yes, every book. Put her in every book. <laughs> uh, we've also got Uncanny Spider Man. This is really cool. Size for you. No comment. No comment. I can't. <laughs> what? I don't. No comment. <laughs> so, this one. So, uh, so many of these were not expected. No. I was trying to think, okay, Uncanny Spider-Man, are they going to take Ben Riley out of the Limbo Tower? And, Which I would be into. You know, right. Somehow utilize him as an agent for either the Dark X-Men, or is he going off oh, on his own? Man, is, it, is it Kane? Is it any other Spider-Sona? Is it... And then they showed this cover and the, the details of it being... Nightcrawler wearing a Spider-Man suit. I was like, "Wait, what?" Ah, uh, yeah. It's and he's he's got to be called Wallcrawler, right? Right. He's got to be. I, I, that's who I thought it was too. So Wallcrawler is the Spider-Man Nightcrawler mashup from yeah, Sins of Sinister, right? Yeah, from right. Nightcrawlers. But it's. I just feel like it's. Uh, I, I don't know. It feels silly to me. Nonsensical. I don't understand why. Where's Peter? <laughs> Or Ben, or any others, Miles, or anyone else from the Spider Verse. You can have multiple Spider People. There are always but Nightcrawler is a mutant. Yeah, I so I I try to think about like, okay, why is he doing this? Yeah, what's he doing? And I think it just has to do with being mutants on the run of what's going on and Maybe, not wanting yeah. to be a publicly faced facing mutant. And you know, Spider Man has the goodwill of the people at his back and okay, so, you know, trying to trying to figure it out. Plus Spider-Man is my favorite Marvel I, character. I know. And Nightcrawler, Nightcrawler is, is my favorite, favorite X-Men. X-Men. I understand. So That's why I started out saying no comment. Cause I didn't want to say anything <laughs> bad, but you pushed me. And then Good. the final book is uncanny Avengers, which I am very excited about. Yeah. I think that's going to be dope. I'm into it. And I was not expecting, so there was the, the talk of they're against Captain Krakoa. Yes. Yeah. But it's supposed to be like an imposter Captain Krakoa. Right. Um, I'm, I have faith in Jerry Duggan at this point, uh, if it wasn't clear through the last three hours. Um, <laughs> but also like Javier Garon art. Yeah. Love that. Um, and Quicksilver's on an Avengers team again. And I love yeah. that speedy little knucklehead. <laughs> yeah. yeah the lineup is great really really cool and and to just know i i don't know how many issues x-men has x-men is on the list right so there, there's I believe so but there's so much talk about like after the ashes or after the fall of what happened and, and it's like okay and i the fact that we're in an x-men event and you have invincible iron man being on that that lineup yeah. of titles. I've been reading it since issue one, just because I was curious yeah. and it's been solid. And there's that rumor of uh, Emma Frost and Tony Stark. <laughs> Same. Same. Right. I would rather yeah. have Emma and Steve than Emma and Tony. 
Yeah. I'll take Evan and Steve all day. I freaking love that guy. Let's yeah. go, Steve Rogers. <laughs> Listen, ready? I'll say another blasphemous thing on this podcast. I'm, I'd rather have Emma and Cyclops than Emma and Tony. Thank you. What? You you are in a safe place. I I am the same don't way. Like Tony Stark. I really don't like him. And it's not because I see myself in him because I definitely do not. <laughs> it's the arrogance. He's so arrogant. I just want to slap him in his stupid face all the time. <sighs> well, you, then you, he, you just need to put him in a new mutants book and maybe he'll come around like there you he go. did with uh, Birdo. Yeah, mm, probably not. He's gonna put him in an Al Ewing book, and then we'll see. See, Al Ewing can do no wrong, though. Yeah, you can give Al Ewing. See, that's another reason why X Men Red should have won because Birdo and the the yeah. this this night seats. Yeah. Plus, I mean, Ewing, absolute. I'm rereading it right now. Ewing in that Guardians run, like Ewing, so that's good. great. He's great. So He's good. But yeah, I think that uh, I think we've we've put a definite definite stamp on it on this whole thing it's been great though this is like a really really fun conversation same yeah and and i'm glad that we i am glad that we agreed and disagreed on things i think it was nice to get the different perspectives for sure yeah absolutely and you know if we had done this on another day it could have ended completely differently right like we could have been feeling different feelings and chosen different books and that's why it's so important for you, listener, to share your brackets. Let us know what you thought, how you went through, why you think exterminators deserve to win the whole thing. You, just, yep. you let us know. You let us know. Right. Um, but as we're wrapping up here, I want to say thank you so much for coming on the show. This is a blast. And yeah. so much fun. Thank you for having us. If you would like, the floor is yours. If our listeners want to follow up with you, listen to your stuff, catch up with the uh, the continuing adventures of Justin and Alicia, where can they find you? Oh, you can find us all over the internet at the Ex-Wife Podcast. That's T-H-E-X-W-I-F-E as in X-Men, not former wife. <laughs> And we are continuing our chronicles of journeys as I have brought Alicia into the X fandom and she is, I've created a monster essentially. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> we talk about the weekly books, the week that they come out. So new books come out on Wednesday. We usually post an episode Friday or Saturday, going through it, talking about our thoughts, involving the community, getting questions and we do polls as to book of the week. We have had a handful of creators on, which is always a, a great special episode here or there. Uh, we recently talked to Zeb Wells and all things dark web. That was mm-hmm. a lot of fun. And yeah, it's just, uh, we're just it's, it's really just my excuse to be able to nerd out about X-Men comics every week because <laughs> now I have created the... Perfect person to do that with, who I also happen to love. Oh, I love you too. And I also love the X-Men. Look what you've done. (laughs) Uh, And genuinely, their show is so fun, y'all. If you you like what I do here, you're going to love what they do on their show. It's one of, it's one of those, those pieces of podcasting that I love recommending to people, especially if they don't read X-Men comics because you get to join along with the fun with including it's one of the most new reader friendly shows that I've ever listened to. And it's always amazing to listen to. Thank you so much. That's great to hear. That's awesome. Thank you. It's wonderful. So 
that does it for this installment of X May. And uh, again, thank you to the two of you. You are welcome back anytime. My uh, Krakoan gate to the Geek Explain podcast will always be open to the two of you. Love to hear it. Thanks, Eric. This was fun. My name is Barry Allen, and I am the fastest man alive. When I was a child, I saw my mother killed by something impossible. My father went to prison for her murder. Then an accident made me the impossible. To the outside world, I'm an ordinary forensic scientist. But secretly, I use my speed to fight crime and find others like me. And one day, I'll find who killed my mother and get justice for my father. I am the Flash. It is now time for the weekly review. This is the segment of our show where I review something weekly. And this week, right now, as I am talking to you, we are reviewing the final episode of The Flash. Season 9, episode 13. This is it. This is the end of a... God. A, what, 11-year journey? As we've gone on from the beginning of Arrow all the way to the very last episode of The Flash. This is it! This is the conf- the confusion. This is the conclusion of the Arrowverse. The Flash was there near the beginning. It is now here at the end. And it is bittersweet in many, many ways. Um, this one's going to be a little bit more than just reviewing the uh, the episode, though, because I've got a lot of thoughts. I got a lot of thoughts on the Flash. I got a lot of thoughts on characters. I've got a lot of thoughts on a lot of things with this show. So I'm going to go into it. But let's talk about the episode first. Let's talk about the final episode of the Flash, entitled "A New World, Part 4. Now, this had a lot of stuff that it had to accomplish. There was a lot of, I think, dangling threads. There was a lot of things that we were not sure if they were going to have time to wrap up by the time that the episode ended. And I think they tried to put as good of a bow on this show as they could in this episode. Um The episode kicks off. Everybody is set up. The stage is set for a final confrontation. We have the return of several villains, all speedsters, of course, from the show's past. We got to see Godspeed. Godspeed. We got to see Savitar. Savitar. We got to see the return of Eobard Thon again. And we got my boy, Teddy Sears, as Zoom. Zoom. Zoom is back and... He's just Teddy Sears. Let me just talk about for a second. I met him years ago at a Comic-Con. Really sweet dude. Really, really cool guy. Um, Just one of the best actors that we've had on the show, period, across the nine seasons. And it was really cool to see him on the show again. I just kind of wish that they had given him more to do. I... I liked the banter. I liked the banter between all of the returning villains. 
it was cool to see them interacting with each other and, of course, interacting with Eddie Thon, the new Cobalt Blue. Him in his stupid costume. I love it so much. I love that dumb Cobalt Blue costume. I wish they'd given him the, the fun little, like, capelet thing that comes with it. But either way... It was almost a one-to-one uh, translation from the comics into this TV-ified uh, cobalt blue suit. And I can we talk about Rick Cosnett for a second? Rick Cosnett doing the most in this episode, going all over the place, hitting every single beat of a character that you could possibly want him to. I wish, and I'm going to talk about it later, but I wish we'd gotten just an entire season of him. Just as the villain. Just him. Just him. Just him. And it's it's frustrating because he's so good at what he does. Uh, Rick Cosnett has been doing other stuff since he died on the first season of The Flash. And anytime he pops up, it's like, oh, cool, Rick Cosnett. And he does the most in every single thing he pops up in. And he continues to do the most here. And having them all get ready, all assemble, all be like at each other's throats before uh, Eddie comes in. He's like, look, we got a goal here. We're going to kill The Flash and we're going to kill the Speed Force. And so this sets the stage for the final confrontation with team flash and i gotta say i didn't love it i didn't love it which sucks because i really want i came into this episode thinking i don't care what they could do i don't care what cw isms they're gonna infuse into this they are going to land this they're going to land this plane and they're going to make this work and i'm going to enjoy the ride and i think for a part of it they did i liked certain characters i liked bringing all the villains back and i liked the final confrontation between eddie and barry i thought it was a really well done confrontation and y'all know how much i love when a when a confrontation when a fight ends in a conversation that's one of my favorite tropes it's one of the things i love the most and so i really really dug how they concluded that conversation with eddie and barry how they were like look we can be greater than this eddie can still be the avatar of the negative speed force but he can turn that into something positive and so i i dug that i liked the the lineup for the battle even though it was like it was super weird to me how cecile just had her super suit even though she's not supposed to have it until 2049 but either way i'm splitting hairs here um i didn't love how everybody else went down i mean i have and i think i've talked about this openly on the podcast before i have never really enjoyed savitar as a villain and as a character um, but the only, the only like satisfying battle that happened here or the satisfying takedown, I guess, was excess versus Savitar. Cause Savitar is like, oh, I'm going to do the same thing I did to your mom, which he didn't do because it was actually HR and stabs her through the chest, but she is vibrating so that the blade doesn't go through her. And then she just knocks the blade off and then stabs Savitar. And it's like, okay, I guess excess is hardcore. And then we got um Godspeed. Godspeed faced off against Cecile and it was 
nothing really he did all of his stupid godspeed clones and then she was like ah brain blast and jimmy neutron the hell out of him uh which i you know it was fine it was fine it was fine uh eobard faced off against allegra nearly killed chester and that was fine i knew they weren't gonna kill chester right before um but allegra then does the little solar flare nukes herself and nukes uh nukes thawne so he gets defeated and then we have zoom right we've got zoom and this bothered the shit out of me because it was zoom against keon and fucking mark that's uh, mark um and it was just it was nothing it was just nothing. And it frustrated me because I was like, okay, Zoom is back. We have Jay Garrick. This is the perfect opportunity for them to have Jay get his revenge. Finally, finally get his revenge on Zoom, take him out, and even do it with the helmet that he took from him. Like, what sweet catharsis we could have got from that. But no. No. They just have Keon just beat him in a minute. Not even nothing. And we had Eddie just, you know, zap them all and absorb them all and become the god of this negative speed force. And then Jay shows... Jay is in this episode. But he shows up for like two seconds, takes away Eddie's speed so that Barry can talk to him. And that's it. That's his contribution. And I don't... I don't understand it. I really, I don't get it. They had a slam dunk moment served up to them on a platter. And they just woofed it. They completely just sidestepped the cool moment of Che, of Che, of Jay defeating Zoom. And they just decided, no, we're going to make this lame. So it's unfortunate. Um, but again, they have that great conversation where he's like, oh, you know, you don't have to be like, you can still be the hero and they part ways. Everything's good. Now Iris gives birth to Nora, which was cool. We got to see Nora. Everybody gets together. They're like, oh, we have this great moment. And then timeless Wells shows up. And for those of you who aren't aware, timeless Wells is the original earth one Wells who post crisis got corrected and then given his life back and then decided to travel back in time to spend time with his wife. And it's never made sense to me. It was a way to be like, all right, this is, we're sending off Wells forever. No more Wells after this, but he shows up. Timeless Wells shows up and he's like, Keon, you're a god. You gotta, you gotta ascend to godhood. And so Keon does that. And then we get Caitlyn again. And Caitlyn's back. Caitlyn's great. I love Caitlyn. I'm glad she was there. No Cisco. No Cisco. Uh, no Wally. No Wally. No Bart. No Bart. Nobody. I understand that, you know, contracts happen, studios happen, schedules happen. But this really should have had more of our speedster characters. If they were going to be all speedster villains, we should have had more speedster heroes. And I I just, uh, it's fine. Uh, what was the key on thing for? What was, I, I get it. They wanted to do something different. They didn't want to just continue to retread the the already trodden road that we had with Caitlyn and with Frost. But Keon really did. 
I it feels like Keon and Mark were in their own their own separate TV show <laughs> and it just never really paid off for me. There was no real moment where it's like this is Keon's moment. Why Keon is here. Um yeah, it just they Keon ascends into godhood and that's it. That's all that's all folks. But yeah, it was it was yeah, it was it was fine. But then we get this really touching ending, right? Where uh, Nora's born, everybody's having a good time. We get this beautiful moment where Joe's there and he's singing the baby Nora, and you all of a sudden remember, oh yeah, Joe was in Rent, and he's just got this beautifully wonderful voice. Um, Live in my house, I'll be your shelter. I I love him i just love him he's the he's he is the heart of this show i just it's it's wonderful but then we get this cool moment where barry is like i am not just the flash i need to continue to be all i can for my family and that means sharing my gift and so he runs up to ferris air throwback to the pilot and literally throws lightning into the air, and we get three new speedsters. Max Mercury, which was dope as hell. Jess Chambers, a character who was less than two years old in the comics, but was really cool to see to see them. And then Avery Ho, who we have not seen since I think that Bart and Nora episode a while ago. I don't remember if that's the same character or not, but just, oh my god. Great little, alright, the lightning is now going to choose them, and the three of them are now going to, you know, continue to build this Flash family. And, you know, Barry runs off, he's like, I am the Flash, we are all the Flash, and uh, that's it. And that's, you know, I would say if I had to give it like a, a really arbitrary geek explained rating, I'd give it six lightning bolts out of ten. It's nowhere near as strong as I think it needed to be. Um, all the final confrontations felt incredibly rushed. But the sentiment was there. The heart was there. Grant Gustin continues to be the best part of the show. I feel like the season fin- or the series finale kind of let him down in that because he was doing the most. But we got him and Iris having a final moment together. Everybody shows up. Not everybody, but lots of people show up. It was nice. It was nice. It could have been better, but as a series finale, they did what they could. And so we're here. That's it. That's all for the foreseeable future. When it comes to Grant Gustin's Flash, when it comes to the Arrowverse, that's it. Superman and Lois is now in its own thing. It is no longer part of the Arrowverse. Every other show related to the Arrowverse is gone. And so that's it. It's it's bittersweet to think about because I feel like for me, and I think a lot of people, this show kind of represented the adaptation for the DC universe. You know, you you can, you know, quibble and squabble about the DCEU and all that stuff. But for me, like with all my problems involving the uh, 
you know, in, involving the various adaptations of various problems with the DCEU, I continued to love how the Arrowverse was built, how it thrived, how it expanded, how it collapsed. It was tragic. Um, this was my DC universe when it came outside of the comics, and it's really hard to let that go. I hate endings. I think, notoriously, I hate endings. I never know how to handle them. But with all of that said, I am going to miss this. I am going to miss, you know, ranting and raving about how good or bad the Arrowverse is, how good or bad the Flash is. You know, we saw after Crisis, which probably should have been the end of the Arrowverse, this slow trickling of cancellation after cancellation after cancellation. And now it's gone. Now it's done. And I'm left feeling kind of empty. Um, following this, following watching the finale, I went back and watched a couple episodes from throughout the seasons and throughout the series. And I remember just kind of the feeling of how much I loved this show and how much Grant Gustin is my Barry Allen. Obviously, there are a lot of things that the CW pulled to build their Barry Allen um, from different flashes, but Grant Gustin embodies that character. It's the character he's going to be compared with and the character he is going to be, you know, whether he likes it or not, saddled with for the rest of his life. And I really, truly do believe that he embodies that Barry Allen character as, as well as anybody ever has. And so to that point, I want to give a little bit extra... Um, extra sauce, extra panache when it comes to saying goodbye to The Flash as a series, when it comes to saying goodbye to The Flash as something that I sincerely loved. So I took some things that I wanted to rank out of the show. And I hope you'll indulge me because I I took some time and I want to talk about these. So now that everything is said and done, I am going to rank the seasons. All nine seasons, from worst to best, starting at number nine, the worst, season seven. And I don't think I'm in the minority here when it comes to this. Season seven was not a great season. Focusing on Godspeed, which ended up being really disappointing, and the, you know, the building out of the different forces, the speed force, the still force, all of that stuff just didn't really really land the forces as a concept are cool and in the comics they're done well enough but the just the the rest of it just doesn't work um the translation of it isn't utilized well this is arguably the worst when it comes to its use of cgi in the show and then the season just kind of ends right Half of it is kind of committed to finishing off the stuff that they needed to get done from the previous season, from season six, and the rest of it just 
feels like it's not really going anywhere. Um, I do have a favorite episode, though, Speed of Thought, which kind of is, I believe, either the finale or penultimate episode of the Mirror Master stuff, which I did enjoy. I thought the Eva McCulloch stuff was good. I don't think that the... You know, the COVID shutting it down and them them having to kind of squish it in the beginning of season seven was kind to it as an arc. But Speed of Thought does a really good job in giving Barry a new power, which speed thinking, obviously, but allowing that power to dictate and to impact his usefulness as not just a hero, but also as a character in the show. Um, at number eight, season six, the one right before um, half of it is really beholden to Crisis, which I enjoyed. The first half of it is like, we know that Crisis is coming. We know that Flash disappears in Crisis. So the entire season leading up to Crisis is about getting Team Flash prepared for a world without Barry. And it's this ticking clock on, okay, we need to get the team ready, we need to get people trained, we need to get everyone prepared for this eventuality, and I really do think they do a great job leading into Crisis. Post-Crisis, it's not great. The show kind of goes on like nothing happened, and even though the rest of the shows in the Arrowverse immediately show um, how impacted by Crisis they were you don't really see that with season six and it's unfortunate. Um, the villain disparity in it as well. Isn't great. Um, like I said, the mirror master stuff is okay. The blood work stuff is fine, but there's just nothing really to hold on to. My favorite episode is the crisis episode. It's part three of crisis on infinite earths. And it gives us a satisfying conclusion to that crisis subplot for the flash we get to see the return of the earth 90 flash where we get to see him ultimately sacrifice himself great great moment uh calling back to the original flash show it was cool i enjoyed it but it's the best episode and when your best episode is part of the tie-in for the stuff outside of your show not a great sign uh number seven i hate to say it it's season nine Season 9 was not the worst worst season by far, but the thing, and I've been saying this the whole time throughout the season, the New World stuff, the final four episodes should have been the season. I feel like when they found out, hey, this is it. The Arrowverse is done, and this is the last season you're getting. They committed the first two-thirds of this to saying goodbye to the Arrowverse and not being able to say goodbye to the Flash. They spent all they could. They spent seven, uh, eight episodes, no, nine episodes, saying goodbye to every single facet of the universe that, of the Arrowverse that they could, and only left themselves four episodes to really say goodbye to the Flash. Uh, a new world was the best part of the of the season. Those last four episodes, um, and my favorite episode is part one of a new world where we got to see Eobard back. We got to square that circle. What I really thought would be the finale of the show. Um, 
but there's just not enough time given to it. Eddie should have been a character throughout the entire season. We should have gotten more time because he does feel rushed as a character. I loved all this stuff. Rick Cousinette, again, was doing the most, but he just didn't have enough time. And it shows, and it ultimately makes this season not hit as strongly as it should have. Uh, Season 8 comes in at number 6. Strong start, right? We got Armageddon, which was a fantastic, fantastic crossover. A mini crossover, much more intimate than previous seasons. uh, With just little things here and there that allowed him, that allowed the Flash to really stand on its own and kind of take its place as the mainstay, as the flagship. Um, But Iris doesn't get a lot to do, which is unfortunate. Uh, Iris spends most of the season with time sickness, which kind of takes her off the board and doesn't allow her to really do anything. So that sucks. But we do get this great episode. My favorite episode of the season is The Man the Yellow Tie, where we get Eobard back. My Eobard, Matt Lesher. Matt Lesher, the superior Eobard. You can argue with a wall uh, if you disagree, but... This episode was really great, getting to see him again post all of the all of the random nonsense bullshit that he had been through in the uh, Legends of Tomorrow, in all of the various crises and whatnot. Uh, it was good to see him get an ending for that character, a, a, an endpoint for him that allowed then the return of the uh, not as good Eobard, personally for me. Um, but yeah. So that's at number six. And number five is season four. Uh, season four, I think, is an, is a really interesting season because you get DeVoe, which is wonderful. The thinker as a villain, really, really cool. Um, however, there is some large dips in quality. Uh, and the show doesn't really know what it wants to be. It, it, it goes to some really dark places, but tries to tries to have its cake and eat it too while it's like all right we're getting really dark but here's Ralph being a wacky dude and I love Ralph as a character I think it's unfortunate that the actor um I don't remember his name but the actor is you know not a great person but Ralph as a character brings a really fun dynamic. I loved, you know, the back and forth. However, the DeVoe stuff does get drawn out and goes through some wacky stuff. Barry is on trial and goes to prison because everybody's got to go to prison in the Arrowverse. Um, And yeah, just the identity crisis, not that one, uh, of the show not knowing whether it wants to be dark and serious or whether it wants to be kind of goofy. Um, just doesn't really work for me. However, it has a wonderful episode. My favorite episode of the season, Enter Flash Time, where it's like, okay, a nuke's about to go off, and so we have Barry, Jesse, and Jay go into Flash Time to try and figure out how to solve it. Just a cool-as-hell episode. The best episode of the season, and I really, really dug it. And, of course, it's a Jay episode, so it has to be my favorite. Um, Right above that, season three. It was difficult ranking this in the next season but overall season three i really love i love season three it's a great episode a great showcase for wally we start off with flashpoint this season takes the biggest swings out of all of the seasons i think um but it is 
really, really weighed down by Savitar, who at this point, it's just, it's another speedster with another secret identity, and the reveal of Savitar is lame as fuck. I'm sorry, it just is. It doesn't... He's a time remnant of Barry who got mad at Barry and then went back to fight Barry. Like, it, I, I don't care. Savitar should have been an actual character on his own. We know his identity from the get-go. Let's just get straight into him ruining Barry's life. I did like that this was the first season... I talked about season six being on a ticking clock. Season three does have this great ticking clock of, okay, we know that Iris dies on this day at this time. We need to figure out a way to stop it. And in every single turn, they get outmatched until time runs out. And it's really great. Again, training Wally to be faster than Barry. He has Kid Flash is awesome. Bringing in H.R. Wells was great. And then we get what every long-running show should get at one point or another. We got a musical episode, which, controversial opinion, is my favorite episode of the season. I love duet. Bringing in Darren Chris to be Music Meister, having the crossover between Flash and Supergirl draw from their mutual... uh, their main actor's mutual history being on Glee. Just, it's amazing. It's a wonderful episode. Go back if you haven't watched it in a while. It's campy as hell. I love it. It's worth your time. It's just a wonderful season. But it's just eked out by season five. Now, again, it might be a controversial opinion because I know people hate season five and people look at season five as this, you know, this is where the Arrowverse went wrong. But it's not. Season five is so far and above quality of season four and it just ekes out season three for me um because if you go back and you re-watch this season it's great it takes all of the stuff that we loved about season one the energy the lightness the airiness the balance of tone that season one had and gives it extra dynamics when you bring in Nora who is a great dynamic character really enjoy her the parenthood aspect giving that to Barry and Iris before they're ready to do so is really cool this also has one of the best Thawne plots where it's revealed that Thawne is the big bad of the season really really loved it even though it's not Matt Lesher, even though it should have been Matt Lesher. Um, His whole subplot with this is really cool, and it ends in one of the most tragic endings of any season. Maybe the most tragic? Um, It's just, it's fantastic. My favorite episode, what's past is prologue. It's the 100th episode of The Flash. They get to go through, and we get to see... Barry and Nora uh, visit different periods from throughout the series at that point. Just, I love Nora as a character. And even though it does get a little gimmicky, I really love season five. And I think if they had given that suit and that, you know, that cowl more of a chance, it would have stuck. It would have been fine. But people got to be fickle. And we did end up getting a much better suit later on from season eight on. So I can't I can't complain about that. Um, ranking these top two was very difficult. Okay. And I'm just going to say it. At number two, it's season two. 
which means at number one, season one, obviously. At season two, season two is really frustrating for me because I love season two. And if you ask me on any given day, season two could possibly be the top for me. Um, yeah, it's it's crazy. Season two had this really unenviable task of following up how freaking strong season one was. And they did it. Zoom is maybe the best villain. Um, just from the Tony Todd voiceover, how terrifying he is, the design, his impact on the characters. He's amazing. When he drags the Flash across Central City to be like, is this your king? Is this your king? Like, I just, oh, it's so good. This episode, this season also gave us Jay Garrick, uh, the fake Jay Garrick, as well as the real Jay Garrick at the end. Um, the multiverse, before it was cool. This show was doing multiverse before it became the hot ticket. Um, just giving us Earth 2, showing us all these parallel worlds, giving us Harry Wells and Jesse Quick, and giving us a goaded finale. Having Barry face off against Zoom, we get a little, a little tease and a little fun um, callback to Crisis before Crisis was ever a an achievable thing, and we get the reveal of Jay Garrick being, you know, not this Jay Garrick, but also but also the doppelganger, the variant of Henry Allen. And how much that is juxtaposed by the death of Henry Allen. So Barry is officially an orphan. And we get the just the craziest ending to any of these seasons. Where Barry distraught by the fact that he has lost both of his parents. And in a very, very difficult state of mind. Right after finally getting together with Iris. They finally kiss he goes back and he saves his mom, causing Flashpoint. Like, holy shit! What an ending! Just absolutely incredible. Absolutely incredible. And then, of course, we get my favorite two episodes. Speaking of the multiverse, uh, Welcome to Earth 2 and Escape from Earth 2. Just when the multiverse was shiny and new and it was the coolest thing, you get to see Barry and Cisco be like, oh my god, we're on Earth too! And just loving how special that was at the time. Uh, getting to see everybody's doppelgangers, getting to see, again, how terrifying Zoom was and how different everyone's lives could be. Absolutely loved it. Wonderful, wonderful stuff. Season 1 remains the best season of The Flash. Season 1 is the peak of that show, which is really unfortunate when you have a show go for nine seasons. But season one had the best narrative, the tightest storytelling, the best finale. It's just, I, <laughs> what else can we say about this show? Um, the first season making everything still feel like, it was taking the grounded nature of the of the first show in the Arrowverse Arrow and then expanding on what you can do with it when it comes to tone, when it comes to villains, when it comes to narrative, when it comes to everything. The Arrowverse would not be what it was without The Flash. If it had just been Arrow by itself, it would have been a very different... It would have been the Netflix shows, which is fine, and there's nothing wrong with 
you hear the plane, which is fine, which is, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. But the Arrowverse set itself apart by being a universe and really feeling like it could be this fantastical place. And the Flash did that, giving us, you know, your monster of the week, your meta of the week narrative, giving us the mystery of who is the man in the yellow suit, the reverse Flash, you know, finding out, oh, we're doing a Kelvin timeline thing where this is now a brand new storyline. Um the plot being based around I need to go back and save my mom and then the finale showing that he can't save his mom because he needs to maintain the timeline it's just incredible it it's it's so good um best episodes my favorite episodes and I the plural is the man in the yellow suit giving us the reveal that Harrison Wells is the reverse flash what does that mean where is Eobard Thawne what the hell is going on amazing just wonderful wonderful episode and then fast enough the finale the season finale um everything you could ask for literally everything you could ask for from the opening you know having you know the voiceover of one day i'm going to find the man who killed my mother and bring him to justice that day is today and showing him with Eobard just, ah, so cool. Um, we get the return of, you know, Robbie's back. We get to see him be Firestorm. Eddie makes the heroic sacrifice to stop Thawne. Uh, We get Barry going back in time to save his mom, but then realizing that he can't, but getting to say goodbye. Oh, I'm going to tear up getting to say goodbye to his mom. Uh, the Jake Eric tease, the opening of the giant singularity that threatens the entire city and the flash racing off to save the day. Like the sea, the first season is the best season. Um, of course, later seasons would take bigger swings, but if you want a show to be like, what is the best adaptation of The Flash? It's season one. In any form. You can take your Ezra Millers and you can shove them. Like, this is the best adaptation of The Flash. Period. Bar none. I'm sorry. It's, it is what it is. Uh, I've been rolling for a while. I just realized this is, you know, nearing 40 minutes just talking about this. So I've got two other things I want to rank really quickly. Uh, ranking the wells. Ranking the main wells, not all the additional Council of Wells and cameo stuff. At number six, Nash Wells. He's the worst. He just is. He becomes the pariah. He's... No, he sucks. Uh, number five, Timeless Wells. Because he's also the original Harrison Wells, he's fine. Um, his, basically, the only reason he's not last is because he's not Nash Wells. Uh, number four, Sherlock Wells. Sherlock. Sherlock Wells. Uh, he's fun. His accent's fun. He's funny. Um, he also you know, makes a bond with Wally. It's nice, whatever. Uh, number three, we have Eobard Thawne, the, the wells that could not be wells, the not wells. Uh, Eobard is incredible. He continues to ruin, uh, <laughs> Barry's life at every chance he get, but as a wells, not the best wells. And number two, it was really difficult, really difficult to rank these last two wells, but ultimately, at number two, H.R. Wells. I loved H.R. Wells. I loved H.R. Wells. Not being a scientist, being a novelist, trying to get ideas. 
jumping from uh, his universe to ours under pretense of being a new Wells and then being like, yeah, sorry, I suck. I've got drumsticks. I'm the best. He he rules. And at number one, obviously, Harry Wells. Harry Wells, uh, they continue to bring him back for a reason. He's fantastic. He's awesome. I love me some Harry Wells. And, he's, and he brought us Jesse Quick, which is uh, which should not be forgotten. Uh, and then the villains. I want to rank the villains, the main villains, at least, the big villains. Little villains, the rogues are excluded. They're amazing. Uh, they're all amazing. Captain Cold would top this entire list, but the rogues are set aside. The main villains for the season, uh, Savitar at dead last, because I already talked about it. He sucks. Uh, Godspeed, also really bad at number eight, but he was better than Savitar. And number seven, Bloodwork. I really love Samuel Ramamurthy, but I just, I don't think he connected for me. He's not bad, but he just didn't connect for me. Uh, Cobalt Blue is at number six, Eddie. He needed to be the villain for the whole season and not just for four episodes. And number five, Mirror Master, Ava. Uh, she was good, just, again, the mid-season break just didn't really help her. Number four, Cicada. I love Cicada. Cicada's super underrated. If you haven't rewatched season five, rewatch season five, it rules. Uh, number three, DeVoe. DeVoe, the thinker, is wonderful. He's terrifying. He needed uh, a little bit less random bullshit, but he was a fantastic villain. Oh, it's really tough. At number... Uh, I, I have to give it... At, at number two, it's Zoom. Zoom is incredible. He's the best villain of the entire series, but because of his adaptability and because he is the yin to Barry's yang at number one it's gotta be eobard thawne he's incredible um i just I lo- just all the different thawns that we saw has to be eobard thawne so that's gonna do it uh for this weekly review goodbye flash you will be missed i love you so much i hope grant gets another shot at this somewhere somehow and uh let's roll right on into this week's comics countdown <laughs> Welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown for the week of May 31st, 2023. This is the segment of our show where I'll chat you up about all the comics you should be picking up this week, whether it's at your local comic book shop, a comicsology, or however you get your comics. These are the ones I think you should definitely take a look at. But before we get into this week's books, we got to take a look back at last week's books with the Geeksplain Pick of the Week of last week. And for me... It was really tough because we had some really good books, but ultimately I did choose Dead Boy Detectives number six. A fantastic finale to this series. I hope to God that Pornsock Pachetcho gets more time with Edwin and Charles. I think there's so many more stories that he can tell with them. And I just, if you did not pick this up, even if horror isn't your thing, go read this. Find it, find the issues. If you're trade waiting, make sure you pick this up. It was amazing, and it deserves your time, so go and check that out. But that's last week. This week, I'm really thankful that we have such a short week. We only have five books this week to talk about. After the 40 minutes that I spent on that weekly review, that's the longest I've ever done a weekly review, a giant-sized weekly review for a giant-sized episode. Uh, So I will be as brief and succinct as I can be. Um, We have five books for you to check out, so let's go ahead and dig into this. First off, kicking things off with, let's rip the band-aid, The Amazing Spider-Man number 26. This is written by Zeb Wells with art by John Romita Jr. And if you have heard the leaks, if you have heard the scuttlebutts, this is, uh, woof. There's, uh, I gotta know. I gotta know. 
if you listen to this podcast, you probably already know what's happened. But on the very off chance that you don't, I'm not going to spoil it for you here. Um, someone dies. Not going to say who. Someone dies in this issue. And um, I, I, I need to know how and why they do it. Because I'm hoping that with context we get something. But I don't know. I don't know. We're going to see. Let's dive into the synopsis. Now fully in the present, the emissary has returned and his power is so far beyond Spider-Man's abilities. The heroes may figure out a way to win, but the cost of victory will be so immense that you may hope they don't. Yeah! Yeah! Um, Yeah. We're going to move on. Uh, Power Girls special number one is up next. Really stoked about this. Uh, it's written by Leo Williams and Joanne Starrer with art by Marguerite Savage and Natasha Bustos. Natasha Bustos? I love it. I love seeing them. Haven't had a book by them in a while. Um, this is basically like a primer for the two series that we're going to be getting, the uh, Power Girl series as well as the, uh, I don't remember the exact name of it, but it's like Welcome to Smallville, uh, Power and Ice, Power and Ice, Fire and Ice. So um, this is this is a really fun book. I'm excited. Uh, let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. Power Girl takes center stage. With new powers and a new mission, Power Girl faces a challenge unlike any she's experienced before in this shocking one-shot rising from the events of Lazarus Planet and Action Comics. With Omen's guidance, Power Girl now strives to battle the demons, literal and figurative, lurking within the minds of some of the greatest superheroes in the DC Universe. But the nefarious Johnny Zaro has been searching for a connection to Earth Zero, and the superheroine's work may unwittingly give him the means to make their world his personal stage can power girl and her estranged super family bring down the curtain on sorrow's evil plans and at what cost the backup story is an introductory tale fire and ice respond to a natural disaster in baltimore debating whether to involve ice's old flame guy gardner when guy causes some major drama at the scenes superman gets involved to stop the fight so yeah, sounds interesting. I'm looking forward to both of those books, so I'll definitely be picking this up. And if you are excited about really cool female-led comics, you should be picking this up too. And speaking of cool female-led comics, let's talk about Doctor Strange number three. This is written by Jed McKay and Amy Chu with art by Pascal Ferry and Tokito Koro. I hope I said that correctly, and if I didn't, I apologize. Um, this book is an interesting one, right? Because, again, I was real mad when this book was initially announced because I still think that Strange should be the status quo, that Clea should be leading the book. But after the first two issues, Clea is kind of leading the book anyway. So we're having our cake and eating it too. I can't argue with that. I'm really enjoying what I've seen so far. And I'm excited to pick this up. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. A day with Dormammu slash close encounters of a strange kind. A day with Dormammu! Stephen Strange has no short supply of enemies, but none are more fearsome than Dormammu, master of the dark dimension. When a cult summons the dreaded lord to New York, Stephen has to risk everything in order to defeat his most dangerous foe. But is he truly up for the task? Plus, a backup story featuring Doctor Strange and Sister Grimm of the Runaway! 
please. I love me some Nico Minato. I'm very excited to have Nico back in the book. I really, she needs to be in more stuff. She needs to be a mainstay in more stuff. Why is the book not Clea and Nico? I ask you. I ask you. But you know what? It's okay because she's popping up here. Um, I'm really excited about this. Really looking forward to picking this up. Another big book I'm looking forward to picking up is DC Pride 2023 number one. So many great creators on this, just to name a few. Gmo, Grant Morrison, uh, Leah Williams, Christopher Cantwell, Nicole Maines. We've also got, I mean, art by uh, Babs Tarr, Branton Stein, Skylar Patridge. All of these, like, there's so many people on this book. You need to be picking this up. Let's dive into this because it's an anthology story. Uh, so let's talk about all the stories in this anthology story. DC Pride is back again with a brave and bold and all-new collection of stories starring DC's fan-favorite stable of LGBTQIA characters, many of whom will find themselves in a thrilling team-ups, the likes of which you've never seen before. Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy go to extreme measures to get a little alone time, but there's nowhere on the planet Crush can't crash. John Kent gets a comprehensive course in dark magic when John Constantine sicks a golem on him. Tim Drake and Connor Hawk learn that there's nothing more awkward than reuniting with an old friend after you've both come out and none of you was indoctrinated and one of you was indoctrinated by the League of Shadows for a while. I'm really stoked on that. I'm really excited about that story. Uh, continued from Lazarus Planet Dark Fate number one, Circuit Breaker struggles to stifle his powers after the Flash of Earth 11 leaps out of the time stream and knocks them both into another dimension. Just how far would Flashlight go to honor his lost love? All these stories and many more in DC Pride 2023! This year's anthology also includes an introduction by Phil Jimenez, a five-page preview of Dreamer's YA debut written by Nicole Maines and drawn by Rye Hickman, a parade of pinups by Babstar, Maria Lo Maria. Maria Lovett. Maybe it's Maria. I don't know. Uh, Branton Stein, Noah Dow, Travis G. Moore, and more! You, you're going to want to pick this up. This is going to be a ton of fun. But for me, the big book of the week, the book I think you should absolutely be picking up is Captain America, Symbol of Truth, number 13. This is written by Tochio Nyabuchi with art by Arby Silva. Part 4 of Cold War. I'm really stoked on this. The covers saying that we might get a Clash of Shields soon. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. White Wolf's latest trap has left the Captain's America barely standing, and Sam Wilson is hesitant to push the team towards certain death without a backup plan. But Steve Rogers will stop at nothing to rescue his son, even if, even if it means taking down one of his closest friends. I think that might be a red herring, and he might be talking about Bucky there, but, I mean, the idea of two Captain Americas fighting each other... Sounds really fun. So we're going to see this Cold War event has been really cool, even though we do know that uh, <sighs> this is going to be the last big story before the end of the Captain America book, at least the Sentinel of Liberty book. I'm really bummed about that, but I'm really excited. I'm really excited about all of these books. To recap, we've got The Amazing Spider-Man number 26, Power Girl Special number 1, Doctor Strange number 3, DC Pride 2023 number 1, and Captain America Symbol of Truth number 13. Lots of threes. Lots of threes this week. I don't want to read too much into it, but just in case, just to be safe, grab three friends and bring them to the comic shop with you, and maybe pick up three or more comics when you make your visit just to be safe.
And that is going to bring us to the wrap-up. If this is your first time joining us on the Geek Explained podcast and you like what I do here, feel free to subscribe to us on the podcasting platform of your choice and give us a rating and review. We drop new episodes every single Wednesday, and honestly, ratings, reviews, and subscriptions really do help me and the podcast out in this weird podcasting algorithm space, raises up our stock, and gets us out and into the orbit of listeners just like you. And if you give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, whatever you want to call it, I will read your review here live on the podcast. You can write literally anything you want. I will be forced to read every single word, and people have used that against me. But as long as you give me those five stars, sky's the limit on what you can write. And you'll be able to join the likes of our amazing Fantasy 15, including Seafire ND, Joshua Panels to Pixels, Matt Draper, Burrito Man 88, Doug from For Every Kind of Geek, Don Swanson, That Guy Brian, Mouth Dork, Dallas Meeks, Amazing Spider Fan, Alok and AZ, Sass, Jedi Jesse 20, Ken4656, and Director Hall. I want to say a huge thank you to these fine folks for their reviews, and I cannot wait to hear yours. Seriously, I want to hear more reviews. We've got currently 26 ratings on the uh, on the Apple Podcasts, iTunes, whatever. Let's get to 30. Let's get to 30 ratings. Let's get to uh, some more reviews. I want to read some more reviews, so send them on over. Would love to have them and be able to shout you out. Uh, this is, after all, a podcast for geeks by a geek, so I love shouting you out on the pod. Uh, if you want to be part of the Geeksplained mailbag send your emails to geeksplained at gmail.com put mailbag in the subject header and i will read it here on the wednesday show if you want to stay up to date with the podcast participate in polls that decide future episodes get the first notification for announcements in regards to the podcast or maybe you just want to shoot the shit with me on the latest geeky news and trust me there's a lot going on, so let's talk about it. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Pod. That's at P-O-D for as long as Twitter is around and as I continue to try to get better at Instagram. I'm trying. I'm really, really trying. Uh, but that would be the place to do it. And finally, every single Friday is the Geeksplained Book Club where I, alongside my amazing friends Malcolm Russell Nelson and Jacob Brown, are about to embark on a journey. We just wrapped up season three two weeks ago, as you are listening to this, and this Friday we're kicking off season four entitled The Brave and the Bold. We're going to be tackling the rebirth runs of The Flash and Green Arrow, respectively, and we'll be kicking things off this Friday with chapter one of the Rebirth Flash era. We're going to be covering DC Rebirth number one. We're going to be covering Flash Rebirth number zero and Flash number one through eight. Lots of really fun stuff. We're honoring the conclusion of the Arrowverse as well as the amazing success that the Flash and Green Arrow have had over the years by celebrating them for the rest of 2023. So join us this Friday as we kick off Season 4. Be there or be square, not a circle. You know. You know what I'm talking about. Make sure you're there. It's a really fun time, and we will see you right there. But that is going to do it for this week's episode. Thank you so much to Justin and Alicia from the Ex-Wife Podcast for coming on and ringing in the finale of 
XMA 2023. It's been a blast. I really, really appreciate everyone who's said kind things, has gotten in touch with me, or has just listened. This has been a ton of fun. It always is every single year, and I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed recording it with my amazing guests. I want to say again, a huge thank you to the, all the guests that we had this week. Not just Justin and Alicia, but of course, Connor Goldsmith of Cerebro, Doug of the For Every Kind of Geek YouTube channel, and Troy of the Troy Oboyo YouTube channel. All of them are amazing. Go check them out. I'll be putting the links for uh, to subscribe to Justin and Alicia's podcast, the Ex-Wife podcast, which is still incredible. Go listen to it. It's amazing. Um, start from the beginning during pandemic era. Go all the way till now. It's a wonderful ride with the two of them. Um, I'll be putting the link to subscribe to their podcast in the show notes here, and you can find the uh, links for our previous guests in their respective episodes in those show notes go check them out i want to say a huge thank you to them again for taking the time to celebrate xma 2023 and um well we'll see you next year for xma 2024 i can't wait it's gonna be amazing but that being said that's the end of xma that is it i feel like may blew on by as this year has been blowing by really and that leaves me and i'm sure you with a question What's going on next month? What's going on with June? Well, dear listener, I'm glad you asked because it's going to be another themed month. We don't often do back-to-back themed months, but I think this special occasion warranted it. Because if you are unaware, Jonathan Hickman, our Lord and Savior, is bringing the Ultimate Universe back this coming June with Ultimate Invasion, which means... Geeksplained is going through an ultimate June invasion. We're going to be tackling all things Ultimate Universe, so stay tuned for that. I will be dropping the tentative schedule uh, very soon as of the uh, release of this episode, so keep an eye on the socials for that. We'll be talking all things Ultimate Universe. It's going to be a blast. I've got some really fun episodes uh, lined up, so join me, won't you, next month for Ultimate June Invasion, only here on the Geeksplain podcast. I feel like it's like here on Disney Channel, but seriously, I'm really excited about it. Ultimate Universe has always been a soft spot for me. We did the entire Ultimate Spider-Man run last year in the book club. And we've also got Across the Spider-Verse. Across the Spider-Verse is this week! Across the Spider-Verse is this Friday. And so that is going to open up a whole new multiverse for us to dig into next month. So join us. It'll be a really fun time. And tune in for part one of Ultimate Junevasion next week. Same geek time, same geek channel. But for now, for the Geeksplain podcast for X-May 2023, I have been Eric Azana. Thank you so much for listening. Stay safe, stay excellent, and we will see you next time.